Episode 240. 240. Rockville, Maryland. Hello. Oh, beautiful Rockville. Close to my heart. It is. Bethesda, Maryland. Hello. Gaithersburg, Maryland. Hello. Like your old hood in a way, right? With Not in a way. <laughs> I lived in Rockville, Maryland. Oh, you did. Really? Now, I didn't have the I didn't have the area code two four zero because in my day it was three oh one and only three oh one. But you know, as population grows, they need more numbers. Oh, so sure, yeah. Since I've left, and I left in nineteen ninety four, there have been a lot of two four zero area. This is a mainstream. This has <laughs> got to be a good show. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. It does. The pressure's Shit. on because this is two four zero. This is my old yeah. stomping grounds. Crap! I planned on like a C minus today. Shit! <laughs> now we got to step it up. You're telling me that sucks. Jeez! Isn't a C minus a step up? <laughs> that would have been for me in high school, no question. <laughs> have you ever spent any time? <laughs> In our nation's capital or anywhere around our nation's capital. Your buddy, uh, the Virginia? gas man and myself hung out in D.C. for a weekend. For an Army-Navy so. game you or something? You are correct. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. We walked around, looked at all. We went to the Pentagon. Did you? He's got a friend there, right? I'm literally sitting in a five-star or four. What's the highest? Four-star general? Anyway, I have no. Yeah, I'm sitting in his You're office. Me. It's yeah. like It's like an 80s movie. They got the clocks in Tokyo, and it was really. And he was starstruck of the gas man because he lives in Magnolia. <laughs> Here's a four-star general. I think whatever the highest is, there's like three. He's sitting here like he's starstruck by gas sitting in his office. And that's it? That's all you've got for Washington, D.C.? Army that Navy one trip? Once. That yes, was yes. it? Mm-hmm. That's Never it. taken the family? No. Your daughter didn't go with the patrols to Washington, D.C.? Was she a patrol? Like a, or they don't do that out here. A patrol. You mean like a crossing guard? Yeah, thing? you know, like they put, oh, the, sure, yeah, they but put the orange thing across oh, the patrols. Yeah. They go to they go to Washington, D.C. They do? I thought. I thought. In fifth grade, they go to Washington, D.C.? Yeah, I think they do. <laughs> she does have the world's largest East Coast trip planned through her school this summer. Like, pick something in New York City. They are going to. I don't know how they're going to fit it all in. Just I, New York City or East but, Coast? No, I think I think they're going to go to D.C. as oh, well. Nice, they're gonna, nice. It's like Hamilton tickets, Statue oh, of Liberty. Like, God. forget it. Like, everything. Like Really? <laughs> What's the school? The site where Henry Hill killed somebody in Goodfellas. They're going to go to that. I mean, really? you know, but through the school. I mean, it's not free, of course. But <laughs> <laughs> those those payments have been coming out for a while I, now. <laughs> I didn't think the school district was yeah. paying for all these kids to go to Washington D.C. Yeah, so she'll City. she'll have uh, I, I, she'll have way more East Coast experience than I will. What do you think of Zach Grinky? When I say Zach Grinky, <laughs> does that name mean anything to you? Pitcher, I think. Well, you know who he is. Yeah. Well been around for a long time it's not a lock that i do but it's kind of a lock that you know who zach grinky is i think pitcher am i right if i told you that a week and a half ago zach grinky struck out a guy by the name of bryce terang okay. and joey wimmer in the fifth inning yeah and when he did that terang was the 999th different batter that zach grinky has struck out in his career yeah and weimer was the 1,000th different batter crazy that he has struck out in his career. <laughs> yeah. If I said to you, how many guys do you think have done that? A 1,000 different batters in their Major League Baseball career. Do you think that's a big number, or do you think that's a small number? It sounds insane to me. So I would say a like... 1,000 different guys. Yeah, I mean, if, if, two if any. I'm going to tell you that he became the sixth. Really? Yeah. I would have thought that's just impossible. When I think of Zach Grinke, I think of good, sometimes really good pitcher that's been around for a while. Okay. 
but I don't put him with the five guys that had done this before. <laughs> right, Warren Spawn or someone like that. Well, tell me what this list does for you. Okay. Oh, wait, can, can I guess one of them for sure? Nolan one, Ryan two, has to three, be on there. Sorry, he's the fifth. Okay. Did I say the sixth? He's the fifth. So only five have done it. Only five, including, including Zach Grinke, have struck out 1,000 different wow. hitters in their Major League Baseball careers. And their names are, you may not have heard any of these guys, Nolan Ryan, <laughs> That's what I just guessed. Roger Clemens, <laughs> Randy Johnson, yeah. and Greg Maddox. Other than that... <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a bunch of no names on that list. Incredible. Hey, you play long enough, who knows? You'll, you start getting some records. He's going to strike out 3,000 career batters when this year's over. He will have won a Cy Young, a bunch of top 10 Cy Young finishes. He's won the ERA title in both leagues. Wow. Not a lot of guys have done that. I guess he's a he's a Hall of Famer. Well, you guess? A bona fide Hall of yeah. Zach Grinke. Right. I know what you're saying, though. Yeah. When you think of those four other names. I don't think Nolan Ryan, <laughs> Randy Johnson, Zach Grinke. Right. Yeah, Maybe yeah. I should. Maybe you should, yes. Mitch Unfiltered, episode 240. Are we off to an okay start in Montgomery County, Maryland? Oh, fantastic okay? so far, yeah. Available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe and rate us, please, on Apple. Also, did you know that I host several weekly short-form shows available to Mitch Unfiltered patrons? It costs $5 a month. Yep. Peace Shows with Danny O'Neill, Shooting the Shit with Slick, Matt Miklas, Mariners No Tables, Jason Churchill, Joey Doyle, Coming Soon, Play Better Golf with PGA Tour winner Rick Fair. We made it $5 a month. Mm -hmm. We talked about this last week. We got some emails about that I'm going to read. <laughs> of course you did. We made it $5 a month so that just about everyone could handle it, that expense, mm -hmm. if they wanted the bonus content. Now... If for some reason, I say this just about every week, if for some reason you'd like the bonus content and you legitimately can't handle the $5 a month, write me, Mitch, at MitchUnfiltered.com, and I will take care of you. This is an honor system, though. I'm familiar It's like with the it. game of golf. Put the right score down yeah. in the box under the right hole. Gotcha. Right? Okay. Okay. Interesting mailbag, an assortment like a box of chocolates. So you ready? <laughs> yes, I think. Robert and Kelso. Hey, Mitch, heard your discussion on 239 about why you chose to charge five bucks for patron oh, content. See, I would just hit delete at this point after the first sentence. Why? I, he's going to just, uh, I know. You don't want to know what he has to say? I think Robert's just going to, yeah, it's not going to be good is my guess. Really? Yeah, that's my guess. Why do you think it's not going to be good? The passion why to could, reach out. Why couldn't it be somebody who would reach out and say, come on, $5 a month, it's worth a lot more than $5 a month. Yeah, because happy people typically don't reach out. Yes, they do. Oh, they do? No, they don't. <laughs> okay, fine. Do you want me to read this or not? Yes. Hey, Mitch, heard your discussion on 239 about why you chose to charge five bucks for Patreon content. Appreciate the full disclosure, but it was unnecessary. Without knowing any other patrons, I will bet there's not one who thinks that $5 is inappropriate. Oh. The content is clearly worth a lot more than $5 a month, Robert and Kelso. So see? Wow. You jumped, you leaped to conclusions. I did, yes. See, Robert sounded like, Robert from Kelso sounds like a prickly <laughs> asshole, so I apologize, Robert. <laughs> I don't know why. And remember, Robert thinks there's not a soul out there yeah. who thinks that $5 is inappropriate. Dear Mitch. Uh-oh. <laughs> Here we go. Just finished episode 239 and listened to you and Scott Talk about the decision to charge $5 per month for bonus content and all of the weekly contributors that you pay. 
I'm a fan, but not a patron, nor will I ever become one. Okay. It's not fair for you to charge people to hear your programming, considering what removed you from the radio in the first place and eliminated our chance to listen to your great shows for free. Not trying to be a prick, but just think about it, Mitch. It's principle. Darren in Kent, Washington. Now you thought, oh, Darren from Kent really sounds like it. I mean, <laughs> that's not a guy you want to fight after the bar closes, man. Darren from Kent's going to kick it. But I think Robert from Kelso could give him a good run in a fight. I'll be rooting for Robert from Kelso. <laughs> yes, you will. <laughs> I'd like to see Robert and Darren go at it. I don't understand the correlation that the from what got you. My mistakes in life have cost people the chance to listen to me every day. Okay. He's saying, so now why should I charge them $5 a month when it was my doing that pulled them the opportunity from listening for free? But he That's listens, what he's saying. But there is an opportunity to listen for free. And he listens for free. He sure does. But he thinks he should be able to listen to everything for free the way he used to be before what happened so happened. You'll get an email next week wanting the free Patreon from Schmarin from Schmidt. <laughs> <laughs> is it Darren from Kent? Yes. He's going to give you a fake name, Schmarin from Schmidt. Hey, Mitch, just want to let you know uh, I'm going to need a little help here with the $5 a month. Uh. Uh, Mitch, episode 239 was my favorite because I'm relatively new listener to your podcast and I had not heard any of the four interviews that you included. Oh, great. Paolo's mom was fantastic. The heart transplant story was almost unbelievable. And the guy who raced in the home on fire was the best. Now why I'm really writing. <laughs> Kidding. Ah, gotcha. He did. He got me. Listen, Mitch, I'm happy for Cody Pickett that his rare medical condition didn't end in disaster. But I'm a cougar yeah. and demand equal time. Luke Falk, Mitch. Gardner Minshew, Mitch. Ever heard of them? Let's go get him on the show. He didn't sign his name. <laughs> But does Gardner have the same story that Cody Pickett has about the health scare? Gardner's, I mean, got, Gardner's got a pretty good story now. He does. He's a colorful cut. Not in the same vein of what we're talking about here. No. Cody Pickett almost died. Well, right? do, I mean, he do, you have, do you have to almost die to qualify for Mitch Unfiltered <laughs> guest segments or not? Well, just for an out of the blue, random former Wazoo quarterback. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think so. Yeah, Luke yeah. Falk. Yeah. I love how he goes to Luke Falk. Of all the... I mean, <laughs> That's true of all the quarterbacks. How random is Luke Falk? <laughs> was Cody Pickett... Is it possible this guy's like a, a second cousin of Luke Falk? Yeah, it's very possible. That's why he didn't sign his name, right? <laughs> yeah, he did yeah. sign his name. Oh, yes, he did. Frank Falk. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I mean, what, so was Cody Pickett the quarterback who won that game in Pullman? It was like controversial at the end where Kai Ellis got that interception. It was a... Uh, you'd have to answer that. I don't... I yeah, don't we're softy when I don't you need him. He would know what I'm talking about. <laughs> We're softy when you no one's no one's ever said that phrase before, have they? Uh, uh, dear Mitch, please give Scott a message from me. Oh Lord! Quote: He's great on your show. Dot dot dot. Yeah. Sniff. Yeah. So did I mean that as a compliment, or was I being sarcastic? <sighs> Brad and Astoria, no, Astoria, I, Oregon. Sure, that's uh, home of the Goonies. I Don't you, you have to go through Astoria to get to the the little beach town that we used to go to when the kids were young? What's that? What's well, that area? The whole ocean west ocean. side of the no. state is a beach, so you can be a little more specific than that. Oh come on, you know the place I'm talking about. Cannon Beach? No, come the the, the with the board rock and all the yeah. What's yeah. it called? I know what you're talking about. You might have to go through a story because the story is on the water. 
You never I saw the Goonies? Right through a story. No, I never You're saw too the old Goonies. for the Goonies. No, yeah, I don't know that, the Goonies. Yeah, that's where I, that house is still there. The, the Goonies Sharon, house. what's the name of the Oregon? <laughs> what's the name of the Oregon coast town? What's the name of it? It's the main drag. You know what I'm talking about with all of the yeah. arcades and everything, oh, yeah. just cl close to Cannon Beach. What's it called? Seaside. Seaside. There you go. Thank you. Yep. Glad I can help. There you go. Now, so our story is a cool little town. Dear Mitch, just listen to your story about Bob Huggins. Yeah. We all agree Huggins said what Huggins said was offensive and a slur. I couldn't help but think if he used the N-word, you would not have repeated it on your show three times. Did I say it three times, the F-word? Mm, you said it at least once. I don't know about three. If you said it like once. Like you did it, with the F-word. Just because you can say it on a podcast, Mitch, doesn't mean that you should. And he was not the only one who wrote their displeasure about me saying the word and saying it multiple times. So I apologize. It wasn't meant to offend right. anybody. I just wanted people to know what the word was. And so I did. And But he's probably right. I probably would not have said the N-word once. Yeah. It sort of was the basis for the discussion that the podcaster said the word. But he's he, saying if the podcaster had said the N-word. No, I, I, I know what he's saying, but, you know, you, yeah. you, you were trying to sort of show what the podcaster was doing by not editing Bob Huggins. You probably wouldn't have said the N-word. No, I wouldn't have said it one time. I can tell you for sure. Yeah. I, wouldn't, I, I would never okay. say that word. I, I guess I see So maybe I shouldn't have said the F-word. Yeah. The problem is I would have needed to at least spell it out for people not to think it was F-U-C-K-S. Right. The N-word, I think it would have been very clear if I said the N-word in the context that the N-word comes up. I think people would not have needed me to spell it out or say it. It would have been very obvious. Yeah. Does that make any sense? Typically, people can do the math on what the N-word means. Yeah. Yes, I think we all know. So, yeah. I don't know. I, 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 apologize. I didn't mean to offend anybody, and if I did, I, I apologize anyway. I can vouch for him that this was not an intent no, to wake I just up wanted and, to, yeah. and, and to offend an entire yeah. group. No, no, that was not your intent. Absolutely not. Yeah. Guests on this episode 240. How are we doing so far, Montgomery County, Maryland? C plus. C plus. Let's, let's, let's ramp really? it up a bit. Yeah. Okay. He goes by the Spence Needle on Twitter. Oh, I like this guy. Do you? Yeah, he's very, Do very you nice. Know him, do you know him at all? We've yes, I mean we've met a bunch of times. I've played golf with him. Yeah, I ran into him the other day. Okay. I mentioned on Twitter that I ran into him, Spencer Hawes. Yep, and people were like, "Get him on the show." Yeah, and I was like, "Okay, he's been on twice, <laughs> right?" <laughs> and people were like, "Get him back on the show." Yeah, so Spencer Hawes is back on the show, and I think this is his best appearance. I've always found him very likable. Just like I mean, like off the radio, everything, just walking really? hanging out with him. I always liked him. Yeah, really. Yeah, and I like his uncle Steve. You're going to like him more after this interview, okay. I think. All right. Because it was a fun interview. I teased him when he was a junior at Seattle Prep. Yeah. There was a senior there by the name of Martel Webster. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Steve Sammeyer, but go ahead. <laughs> He's a little older. Yes, go on. What's it with you and Softy? Yeah, I know. I, I, exactly. Who knows? Yeah. Okay, go ahead. But he went to you Seattle Prep. You want to throw Prep. Kevin Shockey in there? <laughs> no, he wasn't. I don't know. Go ahead. When he was a junior, yep. Martel Webster was a senior. He was decent. They both ended up not just being lottery picks in the NBA. They both ended up being top 10 picks in the NBA. How many in the history, and I don't know the answer to this, how many high school teams in the history of high school basketball <laughs> yeah. since the NBA draft was instituted had two top 10 NBA players, NBA picks on the same high school basketball team? It's crazy. I really have to do the research because it can't be many, right. if, if any. 
They did not win the state title. <laughs> That's what I was going to ask next. They must have won it, They right? did not that year. Who the hell beat them? Now, what's interesting about him, he's so, and you're right, he's so likable. Yeah, yeah. I can tease him. Yeah. He said he remembers when he was starting his senior year in high school, he went on a radio show called Mitch in the Morning. Yeah. And the host drilled him about not winning the state title <laughs> with Martel Webster. This is, this is his version. He says, I remember it clearly. Yeah. And he made me, the radio host of Mitch in the Morning, yeah. made me guarantee that we would win without Martel Webster my yeah. senior year at Seattle Prep. And thank God we did. <laughs> did he really? They did. So when they got rid of the deadweight Martel, they finally <laughs> were able to That's win right. a state championship. They won in 2006. Wow. But they didn't win with two top NBA draft, Unreal. top 10 NBA draft choices on the same high school basketball team. I mean, can you think of another high school team like just Well, ever? there was that great team at Dunbar in Baltimore. Yeah. Back in the day that had like Reggie Williams and mm. Reggie Lewis okay. and all kinds, Tyrone Bogues. But we're talking about two top 10 yep. NBA first round draft choices. Tyrone Bogues ain't no top 10 No, pick. he wasn't. No. I don't even think Reggie, Reggie Williams was. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. The Georgetown guy, remember him? Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. Spencer. So Spencer Hawes Great. in his interview is going to talk about that. We're going to talk about his AAU clashes with a guy by the name of Kevin Durant. Oh. We're going to talk about how he played in the McDonald's All-American game and he had to check uh, some guy named Greg Oden. Oh, boy. That's no easy task <laughs> in high school. <laughs> Who, by the way, looked 38 in high school. Yes. <laughs> Fully and developed. He, and he tells on this episode some fun stories about the coach. I asked him who came to visit him in the house. He talks about Lute Olsen arriving in a limo wow. with his wife in a mink coat. Of course, yeah. <laughs> he talks about Jim Calhoun of UConn arriving at Seattle. He didn't even come to the house. He went right to school. And all of a sudden, Jim wow. Calhoun is walking around campus. Looking for you. He's got some good stories. That's a, Yeah, because he was about as highly recruited as one could be, right? Yeah, he was the number two center behind Greg Oden. Wow. The number two center around that that time, yeah. I remember going Durant, to Durant was in that class, and I remember going to Husky basketball games when he was a senior in high school, and he would show up, and we knew he was going there. Yeah, and people were chanting Spencer, Spencer, because they you can't miss the guy; he's six eleven, right? Right. But he was getting cheers from the crowd before he even played a second at UW. There you go. Yep. Guest segment number two. I'm I'm going to be curious as to whether you will give guest segment number two a try. Okay. Because it's not your typical cup of tea. How old is Piper? 14 a few months ago. Yeah, 14. The youngest guest in the history of Mitch Unfiltered wow. makes an appearance on episode 240. What grade is Piper in? She is in the eighth grade. This is Angela Zhang, okay. eighth grader, 14 years old. I think you know that age then. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. Tell me, I know Piper's very accomplished, but tell me if Piper has done the equivalent of this. Okay. Angela Zhang from Bellevue, Washington, mm -hmm. will go to Bellevue High School next year as a ninth grader. Okay. And she turned 14 two weeks ago, like on May 5th. Okay. So far, she's won 60 golf tournaments. <laughs> she's the reigning Washington State, not just junior amateur champion. She's the reigning Washington State amateur champion for all ages. She went back to Pittsburgh a couple of weeks ago. And tried out for the U.S. Women's Open that's going to be played at Pebble Beach. There were 54 players, a lot of them pros, for two spots. Mm -hmm. She got one of the Jeez two. Louise. She wanted a playoff. She joins us at 14 years old. She plays out of Newcastle Golf Club. Crazy. It's turning into one of the great amateur women's players in the country. 
and she's only just 14 two weeks ago. The athletic part's obviously amazing, but like for Piper, I think a lot of kids that age, it's the whole confidence and like the anxiety and the nerves and like that could be a big factor for the fact that she's like winning in a playoff and just that's the part that I just can't imagine. I mean, she's like a killer already at 14. And that's why I'm waiting to see whether you actually listen to the interview. Because more than just being an unbelievably accomplished, she won the pitch, putt, and drive contest at Augusta National as a nine-year-old. <laughs> Jesus. Okay. <laughs> That's amazing. She she started playing at six, and I asked her, I don't want to give too much away, I asked her, when did you start beating your dad? Because she started playing because her dad played. Okay. And I said, when did you, st- do you remember when you started beating your dad? And she said something like, oh, no, 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 no. No, my dad's a really good player. I didn't start beating him until I was about eight. <laughs> As a matter of fact. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> she said it earnestly too, right? Like Completely. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. <laughs> I, I'm eight wondering whether you'll listen and, and just course, listen to the yeah. personality because you know the personality of a 14-year-old. Yeah, yeah. But now put a 14-year-old, that's nah, not a major podcast, but put a 14-year-old in a position where they're getting interviewed and they're being asked to tell stories. They're being asked to talk about themselves. Yeah. Not the most natural thing. Wait till you hear Angela Zhang. Yeah, you four- are gonna, she is going to blow you away. You had a couple. With um, her sense of humor. 14-year-olds not necessarily known for their personality, I have to say. There's, there's a lot of range. They can be insanely shy and awkward, or right. you know, they can maybe have a good personality. Well, typically, but... around other kids, that's one thing. Right. But around like strange that's what dudes I'm that about. are asking them questions yeah. over Zoom. Amazing. That's yeah. what I was doing. I was asking her questions over Zoom. She handled it like she has wow. done a million of them. I can't wait to hear it. She's great. And then the third guest, uh, our guest segment will be our final, sadly, Seattle Kraken no table. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, we haven't talked since then, have we? No, because it was on Monday night that yeah, they lost. It feels yeah. like a long time ago. It does. It was Monday night. We'll talk about that in the first segment. So there's your three guest segments on this episode 240. So here we go, about to begin officially episode 240, Evergreen Golf Call Tax Advisors, Certified Financial Planners, and Experienced Portfolio Managers working together to bring retirement planning taxes and investments under one roof, evergreengk.com. More than just a financial advisor, Evergreen is everything wealth. Zeke's Pizza, you got to love how Dan and the boys celebrate the local teams during the Kraken series. They had the $5 pints. Ordering via the Zeke's Pizza app has gotten easier than ever. A complete overhaul. You got to download and try it. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. John Waterstrat and Fireside Home Solutions. Going to see John this week on the golf course. Whether it's a brand new fireplace inside or out or garage doors. Begin and perhaps end your search for a new fireplace or garage doors at FiresideHomeSolutions.com. The Woodenville Office of Cross Country Mortgage. If you go by everything you read and hear about, interest rates and the Fed, you'll never buy a house. Then why are houses still being sold? Because of creative mortgage people like Jordan Flowers and his team. If you're buying a home, a second home, an investment piece, just give Jordan a call. He may surprise you. 425 890 2957. Hopefully his voicemail won't be full. Daniel's broiler for special occasions. Now with the weather having changed, you got to consider outdoor dining at Daniel's broiler on the deck at Les Shy, the seaplanes at South Lake Union, overlooking the world at Bellevue Place. 
Daniel's Broiler. You got to love Daniel's Broiler, a world-class steakhouse. Episode 240 begins officially right now. Unfiltered. The run scoring and the pitching is like the milk and the cookies. When the pitching is incredible, (laughs) they can't score runs. They they score one or two runs and they end up going 500. Unfiltered. After they go to the huge production of asking, then they don't ever go to the prom. What? Yeah, they don't actually go to the Tolo, to the Hoko, to the prom. They don't even go. Mitch is unfiltered. Episode 240 is now officially underway. You clearly have not taken Piper to Sisa. Yeah, we haven't Seaside done Oregon. the Oregon beaches. We always go to Seabrook. I don't know why, maybe because it's close. But yeah, we've never. I ask you where the, the ward, <laughs> where, where the. Uh, the boardwalk is and what? all the arcades. And you give me Cannon Beach? Oh, there's one really? boardwalk in the state of Oregon that's completely... Ha- oh, it's yeah. not. A- Cannon Beach is for the old fogies. That's where you guys go. The young Sorry. people go to Seaside. Sorry. For who again? The old fogies. Yeah, you might want to take a look at it. Get, get the brochure for yourself next time there, fella. <laughs> all right. Jesus. <laughs> no, we haven't done Oregon, oh. but we will one day. We just love Seabrook and Ocean Shores and that whole side. I don't know. Is Oregon does have way better beaches? No, I mean, no, 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 no. Just to like if I never go hours. back to Seaside the rest of my life, <laughs> yeah. it'll be too soon. That's a hell of a commercial for yeah, them. No, <laughs> I am not a Seaside fan. Wait, why? Oh, no. Crowded? That, no, it's just not my thing. Wait, beaches in thing. general or? It's not. You're not really going to the beach when you go to Seaside. Oh, you're not. Not really. Okay. You might go out on the beach. Normally, even in the middle of summer, it's cold. So it's, not it's windy. It's not really like you're not going to hang out on the beach like you would be in Florida. You're gotcha. going to to go to the arcades and the the crappy restaurants and <laughs> put that the on the shit. brochure. <laughs> Tourist trap is it? The pig in the blanket or whatever they call yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess pig we're out the, then. Something the pig in the something. I don't know. Yet you're still perplexed as to why I couldn't come up with that name. That's a hell of an advertisement. <laughs> I mean, geez, now I'm never going. I thought everybody knew about Seaside. What <laughs> yeah, do I know? Yeah, I, I figured you knew about Seaside. No. Nope. You're a Northwesterner for life, aren't you? For life, sure, yeah. And you don't know about Seaside, but you know Cannon Beach. I know about it. I've never been there, yes. Who gave you the name Seaside, by the way? You did. Thank you. Okay, so yes, I have heard of it. <laughs> so episode 240 is underway. I'm sad about the Kraken. Yeah. I'm frustrated to all hell about the Mariners, and I guess I'm intrigued by the Seahawks, but I, I think we'll leave the Seahawks for a later date. Mariners because it's like win one, lose one? Ah. Uh, yeah. Go on. They're 22-24 and 24 now after losing two out of three to the Atlanta Braves this weekend. Yeah. And it's just maddening because we all knew during the offseason that they were set up, they were in position if they went out and added some big-time bats, mm. they were in the perfect spot to really jump into one of the two or three or four favorites to win the whole damn thing. Yeah. They were set up on the mound. And we knew it before it happened. We knew it as it was happening that they would cheapen out on us. They would pinch pennies offensively. They spent a lot of money on their pitching staff. There's no question about that. They went out and they did the Julio contract. There's no question about that. But they went out and they tried to stitch it together with deals like like Wong and Hernandez, Teoscar Hernandez and Colton Wong. And they pinched pennies. And now we're watching 
exactly what we all thought, many of us thought anyway, we'd be watching. And that is a dynamite pitching staff, a really, really good bullpen for the most part, Mm -hmm. and a 22-24 and baseball team because they're just not good enough offensively. But there's time to turn those bats around, right? Of course. Yeah. They're 22 and 24. And look, they might end up winning 85, 88, 90 games and get into the postseason. They may go on the tear that they went on last year. I'm Mm -hmm. not saying they won't. George Kirby on Sunday threw his eighth consecutive quality start. Yeah. Logan Gilbert has been good more times than not. Luis Castillo, except for this recent rough patch, has been all world. Right. They even got a guy named Bryce Miller that none of us even knew before the season started. Comes in, fills in for Robbie Ray, and he's like unhittable yeah. through four starts. And they're 22 and 24. Why? Because they hit as a team 229. That's 28th out of 30 teams. 229 as a team. 229 as a team, 28th out of 30 Major League Baseball teams. They're on base percentage, 25th out of 30 Major League Baseball teams. They're slugging percentage, 26 out of 30 teams in Major League Baseball. Their OPS, 27th out of 30 teams in Major League Baseball. Home runs hit, 21st out of 30 teams in Major League Baseball. They have struck out more than just about every single team in Major League Baseball, minus two. Third most strikeouts of all Major League Baseball teams. Think about this for a second. They're 22 and 24. Mm -hmm. So they've got 24 losses. Of those 24 losses... How many do you think are by two runs or less? Half. 16 out of 24. Wow. Yeah. 11 out of 24 by one run. Yeah, that hurts. They've lost 11 games by one run with all of these offensive numbers in the in the shits of Major League Baseball. So my question to you is, have they gone out and just spent a little uncomfortable money mm-hmm. that they didn't want to spend and they had gone out and gotten another or a better bat or two. And let's say instead instead of being 28th, 29th, 30th in all these categories, let's just say they were 15th. Yeah, right. 15th, right in the middle. Yep. Knowing that they've lost 11 one-run games and 16 games by two or fewer runs, what would their record be instead of 22 and 24 with all this great pitching? Yeah. 25 and 21, 26 and 20. Let's say 26 and 20. Yeah. I don't think it's a stretch to think if they were middle of the road offensively that they would be 26 and 20 through 46 games with all these close call losses. 26 and 20, do the math on that. That's a 92-93 game winning season. That's easily enough for a wild card and somewhere in the mix for the AL West crown, depending upon what the other teams do. Are you talking about one of the shortstops everybody wanted to go get, or is there other people on the... I would have loved one of the shortstops. I think they should have gone and get one of the shortstops, but that's not really what I'm talking... I'm talking about them as a whole. Yeah. Just not willing to do anything uncomfortable in terms of spending. As soon as they get out of their comfort zone, they kind of reel you back in, and they start going out looking for bargains, like Colton Wong and Teoscar Hernandez. It's not like it's a surprise... That Luis Castillo, George Kirby, Logan Gilbert, well, Bryce Miller's a little bit of a surprise. It's not a surprise that they have a great rotation. We knew they were going to have a great rotation. That was easy. So why not? 
it feels like the way that you feel after Christmas or Hanukkah where you're like, okay, we got to let the debit card chill out for a little while here. We're blowing through a lot of money, right? You know, they, the, the Julio deal. And the Castillo, Luis Castillo deal. But right. Robbie Ray before that. Like, you know, they, they did go make some kind of eye-popping moves. Like, really? We yeah. haven't got to Cy Young winner? Yeah. Let's go. So I think maybe they're probably like, okay, we got to chill a bit. Like, we're blowing through money here. It may be the only time that I can remember, at least in recent memory, where you went into the offseason – and you said to yourself, we are really close. Mm -hmm. We are right on the edge of being great. Are we going to be satisfied with being good with an outside shot of being great? Or now that we're good, are we going for the gusto and spending mm -hmm. more money than we want to spend and being a little uncomfortable in the pocketbook and going out and going for it? That's the question that was in front of them. During the offseason, everybody knew in baseball that the Seattle Mariners were equipped to be good. Right. Everybody knew that. They were the darling pick. Everyone was picking them to win. The no, everybody knew that they would be good. No yeah. one was picking them to win the whole thing. No, AL West, right? I mean, no one was picking them to win the AL West. No one was? No. No one was picking them to win the AL West. In the offseason? Like nobody, everyone no, was loving the Mariners. But no one was picking them to win the AL West. Okay. They were all picking Houston to win the AL West. Okay. They, everybody said, you know, the Mariners playoff team. Yeah, wow, yeah, yeah. They're they're good. They're solid. So take the next step and let's make them great. Yeah. And they didn't do it. They did go out and get the Pyramid Brewery and change it into their uh, <laughs> victory hall. Same amount of home runs as Wong. <laughs> the the <Yes>. brewery. <laughs> it's frustrating. You are right though that that that, opera, that window doesn't come around often where you're this close, right? It doesn't come around often. No, it doesn't, especially here. Uh, spe uh, 20 years, right? Especially here. Since that 2001 team where, yeah. Yeah. You know like the the Seahawks when they lost to Atlanta just couldn't get to the quarterback on that final drive and they lost to a 2012. Right. And they go out and they get Cliff uh Averill, a a Cliff a Averill yeah. and Michael, Michael Bennett. Bennett, yeah. And they won the Super Bowl. Like they, they they knew they just needed a little more help at the pass rush. Everyone else, everywhere else were pretty good and they won it. So yeah, that's a little bit different because of the salary cap existing in the NFL and not existing in Major League Baseball. Jerry DePoto and Mariners ownership would say, We knew where we needed help mm -hmm. and we addressed it. We went out and got Colton Wong and we went out and got Teoscar Hernandez. Mm -hmm. And I'd say the team that goes out and gets Colton Wong and Teoscar Hernandez is the penny pincher and the team that goes out and spends big dollars for big time all-star caliber players, big time players, yeah. they're not penny pinchers. To sit here and watch them float around 500, one game under 500, two games under 500, 500, one game over, yeah. to watch this, this mediocrity when the pitching staff has basically been everything we thought they were... Robbie Ray hasn't pitched since the first game of the season and went out, and they replaced him with somebody better. <laughs> Somehow. Imagine. Yeah. The guy that they replaced Robbie Ray with has come in in his first four or five starts, and I don't know whether this is going to continue, has been like one of the best pitchers in the American League. Right. For $10 a season, we're getting him for. <laughs> so now they've got that guy to go along with right. Gilbert, yeah. George Kirby, Luis Castillo, and a bullpen that's statistically one of the best, if not the best, in Major League Baseball. And they're 22 and 24 in 46 games. It's driving me crazy. <laughs> Blowing a great start by a pitcher is really frustrating. It is. I'm with you. Like, wow, you couldn't, you lose one nothing. We couldn't have got two runs to get this win for this. I mean, the Washington Husky softball team, the day we record, lost to McNeese State one nothing. 
One nothing. The kid gives up one run and you right. lose? Right. God, it's so frustrating. The PS to the story is they didn't go out and spend mega dollars on offensive players to get them over the, the top. We know that. Yeah. And you know what's coming? George Kirby's going to have to be signed long-term. Right, yeah. And Logan Gilbert are gonna, is going to have to be signed long-term. I can hear the window closing. And, and, no, and ultimately, they'll probably sign both those guys. Oh, okay. So how do you feel like the chances are that they're going to spend some more money on their <laughs> offense then? <laughs> That's true. That old debit card's going to be glowing hot after that, yeah. If they're not going to spend money now when George Kirby's making $26 an hour right. and Logan Gilbert's <laughs> making $42 an hour, right. if they're not going to spend money on the offense now... How much on the offense are they going to spend when they have to give Gilbert probably $28 million a year, $25 million a year, and Kirby, God knows. Yeah. Kirby, to me, looks like the real deal for the next 15 years in baseball. <laughs> I would not be surprised if George Kirby is in a $30 million a year pitcher. Yeah, And that day's coming. Yep. So what they're really saying to us is either we're going to cultivate offensive players in our minor leagues and we're going to draft well. Yeah. Or we're going to be terrible offensively for the next 15 years. That's really what they're telling us. Can we bitch about this after the trade deadline? Let's see if they make There's still a chance. We're not done. We're not quite done. Maybe they're thinking what you're thinking. Like, we can't keep wasting these great pitchy performances. So if, if the trade deadline comes and goes and it's just the team as it is, then yes, I'm with you. It's Yeah, I suppose they could add salary at the trade deadline. Yeah, they could still. Yeah. But if they don't, then yeah, we're right back to this discussion today. It's frustrating, for but sure. But that doesn't leave me any less frustrated about 22 and 24 through 46 games. Yeah, right. When they've got great starting pitching and a great bullpen, yeah. and they can't make any hay on 500. Yeah, they, they can't. They just can't. They can't. I know. Every you realize how many teams out there would swap their pitching staffs for the Seattle Mariners pitching staff? Do we, right. Do, do, do we understand? <laughs> Are we all talking the same language here? Yeah. I haven't done the the survey, but my guess is there's probably all there's probably 28 teams that would rather have Seattle's pitching <laughs> yeah. staff than their own. Straight for straight, just straight, straight for, for and maybe all 30. Right. Yeah. Maybe all 30. Yeah. With Castillo leading the way, yeah, maybe all. And 30. And all of Unreal. those teams are saying the same thing behind closed doors. If we had the Mariners' pitching staff, we would be 20 games over 500. <laughs> right. But the Mariners have their Mariners' <laughs> pitching staff, and they're two games under 500. Right. It's yeah. driving me crazy. For good reason. Spencer Hawes, I yes. think you'll like it. I'll be interested to, to know whether you listen to Angela Zhang at 14 years old. Yep. And then the uh, the final edition from last week of the Kraken No Table after Game 7 against mm, Dallas. That was rough. With the crappy ending, all right? And then other stuff. How about the turn in weather in the Pacific Northwest last week? And don't you dare complain about it being too hot. Don't know about you, but when the sun comes out and the temperatures rise, the Levy family always looking for fun restaurants to go with outside seating. And maybe that's not the first thing that comes to mind when I say Daniel's Broiler, but whoa. The less shy location sits at the edge of Lake Washington with fabulous views. The South Lake Union spot has a revamped deck that allows you to enjoy the seaplanes while having a steak or salmon. And then there are the terraces atop the world in Bellevue. Western views across the lake to the skyline of downtown Seattle. Yeah, they're known for USDA prime steaks and super fresh seasonal seafood, not to mention my favorite bacon wrap scallops. But on a nice day, a nice Seattle day, just nothing better than Daniel's Broiler world-class steakhouses.
Unfiltered. Gentlemen, he's back for, I believe, a third appearance on Mitch Unfiltered. He's the pride of Seattle prep. You dub for a cup of coffee. I want to talk about that. Ten-year, right? Ten-year NBA veteran. Last time you were with us, Spencer, the Spence Needle, Spencer Hawes, you told us that you weren't done just yet. You were still waiting for some calls. Are you done now or what? I think uh, I think they've decided that I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'd still answer, but uh, the, phone, the phone isn't really ringing. It's not ringing? No, but it's, uh, you know, it, it was a good ride and uh, we still got the whack to keep keep the competition going. <laughs> and how is the competition at the whack? Oh, it's great. Uh, we just got done. We won the national tournament down in uh, down in Los Angeles, defeated the Olympic Club, our rivals. So things are good. <laughs> are you getting ready for the Champions Tour, Champions PGA Tour or not? Uh, I I don't know if I'm going to qualify for that either, but I'm going to keep grinding. Uh, what's the truth of the rumor? You wanted to take money from everybody at Aldera. You doing that? Or are they taking your money? No, I lost 95 bucks. I had my worst <laughs> round in probably a year. So at least the <laughs> handicap's going up. They always like to say that it's tough for tall guys to play golf. Is that true? Well, there's a lot more that can go wrong. I mean, when you hit it, it goes it goes a little further. But there's there's a lot on the uh, lot on the pendulum that goes awry. Uh Okay, well, I saw a picture recently of you getting your 32 retired at Seattle Prep. Is that true? That's true. Back in January uh, against O'Day, another another one of our, uh, or not one of, our, our biggest rival, uh, they, they put it in the Raptors, so to speak. So that was a, a fun night for myself and the family, and good to be back, uh, back in the old stomping grounds. What'd you do that uh, that entitled you to that, for God's sake? Uh, but just probably a little, little body of work back in the uh, the early 2000s that <laughs> snuck me in there. How many state championships did you win? Just the one. Thanks for bringing that up, Mitch. Okay, well, that, that's what uh, I, I want to talk I, about. I still remember, I, it must have been the beginning of my senior year going on your show, and uh, you you kind of put the screws to me. And maybe guarantee the uh, guarantee the state championship. So when we got that done, when we beat the Irish, that uh, that was a big, big weight off the shoulders. Is that true? That that is true. I made you guarantee because you hadn't won it as a junior with Martell. Is that right? That's correct. Okay, That's so how it went. so how how did you not win it as a junior with Martell? Uh, there we ran into a couple undersized guards that got really hot. My buddy Taylor Olson, the first go around, and then uh, Garrison Carr. The game after that, before you knew it, uh, that was that. It was it was all over with. What team? Uh, Blanchett and Issaquah. Oh, Garrison Carr. Didn't he go to American University and play ball? He did, and he had a couple big games in the tournament, which. For a second, made me feel a little bit better about it, but not really. <laughs> what I want to know is, and I've wondered this for a while, so you and Martell in 2005 were on the same team, right? Yep. He's a senior and you're a junior, and you both end up being lottery picks, right? Yep. How many high school teams, there can't be many, ever had two lottery picks on the same high school basketball team? Do you have any idea? Uh, 
To my knowledge, not many. Um, <clears throat> I think we have the uh, distinct honor or lack thereof of being the only with two guys, two top 10 picks that didn't win it. But there was a team down in Fresno at the same time uh, with Quincy and the Lopez twins that didn't win it. So not two top 10, but three first rounders. I'd say that's probably worse. Wow. That's incredible. Martell, I was watching highlights last night of you guys. I have questions about you and something you did with your hands after you would dunk the ball when you were running back to the other side of the what, – what the hell was that that you put your hands uh, on? Me? What was that? That was a little shout-out to the Rock uh, Rock Nation. <laughs> <laughs> what was it? What did you do? I don't know. I, don't, I, I can't quite remember the genesis of it, but it caught on pretty quickly. <laughs> But Martell, and I don't, and I don't obviously mean any disrespect, but Martell, my goodness, some of those highlights, he looked like Michael. I hate to say it, but he looked like Michael Jordan the way the way he played that senior year in in high school. No, oh, it, it was unbelievable. I mean, he would, and I, I still don't know. I should ask him if it was an intimidation tactic or not. But he would warm up shooting half court jump shots. I mean, we were all kind of heaving him from there, and he'd be shooting jump shots from half court. And the other team, the other fans, everyone just be watching his warmups. Right. And it was unbelievable how how advanced he was at, at that stage, physically, his skill set. I mean, there's a reason he was a six pick in the draft. Yeah. He committed to Washington but never came. Did you ever get the feeling that he was gonna ever play? Do you think it was ever close to him playing at Washington? Oh, no chance. He was never going to he college. He was never he, going to college. No. No. I mean Number one player in the country for a lot of a lot of his high school career. Obviously, the the road was still open then to the draft. I mean, that was it was pretty clear where, where where he was ending up. And I mean, he didn't. Some guys need college, some guys don't. I think he was ready at that age, uh, you know, to play at the highest level. So you would say, in retrospect, you don't think it would have helped his NBA career had he played one year in college? Looking back on it. No, I don't think. I think with his skill set and what he brought to the table, I think he he made the right decision. Yeah. And then you follow him, and you go to the University of Washington for the one year. Everybody's talked about you and I have talked about that a lot. How many classes did you go to that first year? I went to class. I was a scholar. I was a one on one club scholar athlete of the year. Until, uh, <laughs> you were the what? What was that called? One on one club scholar athlete of the year. Okay. I don't know how much competition I had, but you know some. <laughs> Someone's got to win it, but no, I went to class uh, until the spring quarter and I still finished. I just, I wasn't, I, don't, I wouldn't say I was in class a lot, but I still finished. I got my credits. Mm -hmm. I kept my GPA mm -hmm. because back then you had the, I, I don't know, they had some formula for scholarships where if you didn't get a certain, certain quota or score or whatever the metric was, it could, it could hurt the scholarship. So I made sure I took care of that on the way out. And I think I've asked you this before, the whole year you were there, and I know it was a really disappointing year team-wise, and you would have liked to accomplish some more. The whole year you were there, you knew, kind of, you know, I'm seven feet. I'm a, I'm a McDonald's All-American. I'm going to have a chance to go play in the NBA and be a lottery pick. You kind of knew the whole year, right, that you were going out. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say it was, was any certainty, but, I mean, going back to when I was getting recruited, we kind of had a – one year, two year, three year plan for how we were going to go about it uh, with with the school, and then as it went along, and you know, you have a pretty even back then, you have a pretty good idea of what your prospects are. So I kept the door open. I didn't hire an agent, but you go through the process, and 
you get the feedback and it, you know, the decision at a certain point kind of makes itself. So I want to go back a year earlier to that FOH team, Friends of Hoop, of 2005. That was a pretty good squad you had there. Tell everybody who was on that team. Yeah, we didn't we didn't lose many games that year. Uh, <laughs> Martell, obviously, we, we've covered uh, Micah Downs, John Brockman, also McDonald's All-Americans, Mitch Johnson, uh, one of my best buddies who's coaching for the Spurs now, uh, Ryan Stodiker. I mean, we can go down the line. We were, we were pretty stacked. You guys faced Durant. You took Durant out, I hear. I read a little article that you... You dominated Durant in that in that FOH game in 05, yes? That was actually the next year oh, okay. uh, with oh. Isaiah Isaiah Thomas. We beat him twice, two or three times, I think. But, uh, yeah, that was a fun one down. He he got me pretty good. He dunked on me. That highlight seems to keep circulating. I can't, I can't find a way to scrub it off the internet. But, <laughs> no, those were some fun battles. So I'm looking at the rankings of the best AAU teams ever. Have you ever seen this before? Yeah, I I question the source, but uh, I, I have seen it. I think I see the one that I was looking at. You guys were ranked as the seventh best team. The 05 FOH team was ranked on this, whatever I was looking at, number seven of all time. Number one was the New Jersey Patterson team of 94. Kobe Bryant... Yeah, Vince Carter, Rip Hamilton, and Tim Thomas all on the same AAU team. Pretty good. Yeah, we might have struggled with them, but (laughs) it would have been fun. And then number two was Riverside Church, 96. Meta World Peace, Elton Brand, Eric Barkley, and Lamar Odom all on on that team. Yeah, they had too many bigs. And then number three was the Southern California All-Stars of 2006. Now, maybe you played these guys. Kevin Love, Brandon Jennings, and Chase Buttinger, right? So the problem the problem was back then, and I think still is, uh, the, sh- the shoe companies control so much of it. So, like, they were – SoCal All-Stars were Reebok. We were Nike. So you never really cross circuit. Maybe in Vegas at the end of the summer, but uh-huh. the whole time it goes along, you know, the Adidas plays on their circuit. Nike has theirs. Reebok at the time had theirs. So, like, basically the McDonald's All-American Greg game, Greg Oden was the number one center of the country. Yep. I was number two. I'd never played against him until the McDonald's game. Yeah. Because we were, we were kind of just in, in different lanes the whole time. So, we never matched up with the SoCal All-Stars, but they were, uh, they were pretty stacked as well. So, I want to know about that McDonald's All-American game. You had 11 points and six rebounds, or 12 points and six rebounds. You had Durant on your team. You guys won. What was it like to face Odin? Uh, it was fun. I mean, it was there was a challenge that I'd kind of been looking for. I, I was hoping maybe I could sneak in and take him <laughs> take down the top spot. Uh, that that wasn't meant to be, but uh, I just remember he was, he was such an effortless ath- athlete at his size. Um, not just jumping, running, his feet. I mean, everything. It was... You know, seven one. He was probably two fifty, two sixty, and moved like a guard. Yeah, I mean, it was incredible. Do you think he would have been a star if not for the injuries in the NBA, or was there something else holding him back? Do you think? No, I know he would have been a star. I mean, I think even the stretches they had when he played, you know, when they when they were healthy with Brandon and Lamarcus and, and that core, when he was right, he was one of the best best big men in the world. It's just unfortunate that. He had the issues with his knee that he could never really, never really get past. You must have some good stories 
Spencer, about uh, coaches coming to your house. Who came to the house back in 06, 05, recruiting you? Uh, let's see. In-house visits. Uh, Romar, obviously, uh, was there as much as he, he could have been. Yeah. Uh, ben Hallen came to the house. Yeah. Uh, Roy Williams came to the house. Cool. Calhoun came to school. That was a big deal when, the, like, the rumors of uh, that he was coming to town. That was that was pretty fun having him up at campus. And then Lute Olson, I remember, showed up in like a limo. <laughs> I get that when, when we were still doing limos, he rolled up in the limo. His wife had like a full length mink on. I mean, it was like full uh, celebrity status. Oh God! And which of those guys stood out the most that you can recall? You know, what was it like to have Calhoun on campus? There must be some great stories. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of, it's intimidating. It's like you, <laughs> this guy that you, you've grown up watching, uh, you know, won so many national championships, and all of a sudden he, he, he's sitting in like a classroom at, at prep. I mean, it was it was pretty fun. You know, everyone's buzzing about it, but Stores Connecticut didn't, didn't seem too <laughs> enticing to me. So where are your five visits? You take all five? No, and I talk about this all the time, like if – revisionist history with a little perspective. I only took three, which was stupid because it's basically you get a free trip out of it. You don't have to go to class. You get a little break. So the only visits I took were Carolina, Stanford, and UW, which UW, I stayed at home. I didn't even go to the hotel. But, you know, if I could have done it over again, I probably would have taken some other stops. What the hell? Why didn't you do that? Uh, You know, it's... You just kind of get tired of the process at a certain point. I think that's the only thing that you're not too mad about. You, you just kind of get where every time you go on one, you're like, oh, this is where I want to go. Oh, this is where I want to go. And it, it just kind of wears you down. What was the Carolina visit like? Oh, incredible. I mean, I, first night, I'm, I think I was 17. They take me to a bar. I've never been in a bar before. Uh-huh. You know, you got basically adults, you know, grownups from your perspective at that time. You know, everybody knows who you are. They're, hey, when are you, let's come in. When are you going to come here? And and it's just, you know, that's pretty overwhelming. And they set it up well. They were getting their national championship rings from the year before at the football game. So you go tailgate, you do all that. And then I remember walking up to our seats in the football stadium and like the student sections chanting your name. Ooh. And you realize how different it is at a place like that where it's, it's the culture. It's, you know, a, a true basketball school that, uh, I mean, it's, it's a pretty cool experience, but then I remember sitting there and I kind of told myself, if I don't commit now, there, there's no way I'm going to get back to Seattle and, and, and end up making that decision. And I told myself, you know, the, the rule is you don't commit on a visit. So, uh, I knew when I got back on that plane that that probably wasn't going to happen. Why? Uh, I mean, I was, I felt like UW was always where I wanted to be. I mean, it was, it's the hometown school, my dad, my uncle, my grandpa down the line. I mean, I, I grew up going to Husky games, not really not Husky basketball games, but in my parents' arms and Husky stadium, that was, you know, it's, it's kind of in the DNA. So did you feel a lot of pressure? I remember thinking back in those days when I was doing the radio show and you were trying to figure it out, I, I remember, and it, you're not the only one. There's a lot of you guys, but you in particular, because of the family connections, a lot of pressure on a 17 year old kid when everybody's expecting you to go to university of Washington, right? Absolutely. And, and I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I mean, I think it's, I think it's cool to kind of carry on that, uh, to kind of pass the torch and carry it on. And it was a little bit overwhelming at the time. I think looking back, 
the decision was pretty simple, but it, it is, you know, it's obviously a good position to be in, but it doesn't, it didn't make things easier. That's for sure. We had Ben Caro's mom on the show and she was talking about all the hate mail and all the social media and all the, the fallout from her son deciding to go to Duke. That must, that must really suck. Well, I mean, Paulo's, you know, he had it on both sides. My mom was a coog, so at oh, least I had, okay. I only had it halfway there. But, yeah. you know, both Paulo's parents and, and his mom being a basketball player, I mean, that's, uh, I don't think that's fair to him at all. Obviously, you know, you can't say he, he made a bad decision the way it worked out, but the program was in a different position. I mean, when I was getting recruited, you know, they sweet 16 a couple years before, sweet 16 and 05 versus, you know, the situation we're in today. And, and when coach K is putting in the effort that he, he does to try and get you, try and get you back to Duke for his last run. I mean, that's, you, you can't blame him. I mean, I, I think when he made the decision, obviously selfishly, I was hoping he was going to go to UW, but as soon as it came out that he was going to Duke, uh, yeah. you know, we supported him and, and obviously, you know, final four, uh, all American rookie of the year, I think, it's worked out pretty well for him. Coach K didn't make a run at Spencer Haas? No. You know, they had a center uh, that committed early, and then Carolina and Duke traditionally, or, or at least at that point, I don't know how it is now with, with new kind of regimes in place, but once they got a beat on a guy, they wouldn't really recruit against each other. So when, when Carolina came on hard and knowing that they already had a seven-footer, I think they were the only school that didn't offer me. So who finished second, Carolina or Stanford? Carolina. That was, it came down to those two. And uh, I, I still remember when my parents used to make me call, you know, every school that I was close, you know, call it the top five, top 10. When, yeah. when I'd kind of cross them off the list, they'd make me, make me call the coaches and tell them. And I remember Roy called the house phone. I tried to hide from my mom. I ran down to the basement. I was, I was <laughs> ducking in and out of closets. Like, oh, I don't, I was so, so afraid to let him down and tell him no. But I mean, obviously he's such a gentleman. He took it well. He, he's had it happen. He's had it break both ways for him. And, uh, you know, I still really respect how, uh, how he handled the situation and, and the opportunity that he gave me that, you know, you didn't take, but it still felt like quite an honor to have a coach like that coming after you. So how does a six eleven and a half guy hide in closets? Uh, duck down. <laughs> uh, what are we going to do about Washington now? I mean, my guy Hop, it's not working out. He came on strong at the beginning, but I don't know. A lot of people are saying that they didn't make a change because of the money that they have tied up in him and the football program and all this stuff. And then now you got the transfer portal every year. It's a brand new set of five guys. It's hard to connect with anybody on the team. It's just a mess over there, basketball-wise, huh? It's tough. I mean, it's frustrating. You want to be optimistic about it, but, it, you know, the last couple of years, it's been pretty hard. And, you know, I think the thing that's, that's frustrating, we have a pretty good formula for how we've been successful when we've been successful with Husky Hoops, and it's, it starts with putting a fence around Western Washington, you know, and I think it's always been a point of pride. There's so many local guys that, that fans can rally around that they've seen in high school that went to Garfield, that went to Beach, that went to Prep Row Day, that have lifted the program. And we just haven't been getting the kids locally. And, and Paulo, I mean, Paulo's an exception. The kid is the number one player in the country. He could go anywhere and would be successful anywhere. And we've covered that. But you got to get the kids, not just the McDonald's All-Americans, just – 
whoever it is that grow up playing together, that want to play together in college and that have pride for, for being Huskies that are from here, because, you know, those are the kids that you don't have to worry about as much as in the transfer portal. Right. But now the NIL thing. Uh, I mean, yeah, I wish that would have been around in my day. (laughs) Wouldn't have mattered. You still would have gone to Washington and you wouldn't have been able to make this much money. Yeah, I don't know. I think I would have been okay. <laughs> that that complicates it too, doesn't it? The NIL thing and guys running do you like the fact that guys are running around not having to sit out a year every year? There's great players in the portal and if somebody's not getting playing time the first year, they're in the portal going somewhere else. Some of these guys are playing at three or four schools. Yeah. It's incredible. They're, I mean, it, you look at their resume and they look like they're a journeyman in, in the NBA, but by the time they get out of there and they're like 24 years old, but the NIL I'm all for, I think, I think there's no reason that the Huskies shouldn't be at, at the top end of that. I think we got some work to do, you know, try and, and it's early, you know, there's growing pains, but I think, I think that's something that we have to, to establish ourselves to, you know, to try and compete but I, I have no problem with that. I mean, I think everybody else has been making money off off athletes' backs forever. It's, it's time that they get get a piece of the pie. The transfer thing, I'm a little more conflicted on because, like you said, everybody gets there. They think they're going to NBA. They think they're going to NFL, and, and everybody's past different. But if it if it starts out poorly and you're not getting playing time, or a coach is being hard on you, it's just you go you transfer and and you never grow. You never learn learn lessons the hard way and I, I love that kids have the option and, and the opportunity because there's a place for everybody. And maybe you come in at a high D one level and, and that's not your level, but there's somewhere you can go where you can make an impact or vice versa. You come into a mid major right? and it's always been your dream to play in, in a higher conference and you prove yourself and you have the opportunity to, but the, the situation here now in college basketball, where you got a thousand and however many kids in the portal, I mean, it, it makes it frustrating. I think mean, I thought Menafield this year was one of the only bright spots and things kind of look forward to, you know, everyone's worried about him transferring. He says he's coming back and then yeah. Arkansas throws the bag at him and, and there you go. So uh, I, I still don't know what the answer is there, but I think the NIL is, is something that's long overdue and I'm glad that kids are able to make money for themselves, for their families and, and down the line. It just feels like it's out of control. I'm a, I'm totally with you on the NIL. But like a lot of things in life, we open up Pandora's box and then it everybody goes crazy and nobody has any control over what's going on. There's see, and I don't know what the answers are. There seems to be a, a need for a committee or a group or the NCAA or somebody to come in and somehow have some more regimented system to this. It's a free-for-all, isn't it? It is, and I think... It, the thing we have to remind ourselves is it's early. I mean, there, you knew it was going to be the wild west to start off with. There's growing pains. The market hasn't really established itself uh, in football or basketball, which you're, I don't really know what the NIL, NIL market market looks like past those two sports, but I think water needs to find its level. I think with the transfer portal, that's the one that I think is a lot more complicated because there's no precedent really to, to having this much, much flexibility. And I, I just, uh, I've racked my brain on it. I've had conversations with buddies, with coaches, and, and no one seems to have an answer. Mm. I saw a tweet not too long ago from somebody called the Spence Needle on Twitter, guaranteeing me that it's going to be Boston and Denver in the NBA finals. Something about writing it in stone. 
I don't know. I, I see my my old hometown Miami Heat doing pretty well. Are you still willing to guarantee me that it's going to be the Celtics and the Nuggets? No, I toss it. I toss that stone in the lake. Uh, Hammy Butler uh, oh seemed to have God. other plans, and oh. I think people in basketball, you know, Spolster. It seems like with everything he's accomplished, he somehow still seems to get looked past in the conversation. You know, who's the best coach doing it? And I don't know what Missoula's a, a you know affection is with keeping timeouts at the end of games, but it just <laughs> I've been bewildered with some of the decisions that that they've made down the stretch. Outside of Butler, who do they even have on their team with any kind of pedigree? Anybody around him? I mean, you got Bam, who's playing. Oh yeah, when he's playing yeah. at the level he is yeah. now. Yeah. I mean, he's he's one of the kind of most unique, effective players in the game, especially as a big man, putting up kind of jokish light numbers. Uh, all the shooters they have around him, you know, Kyle Lowry ha- has been doing it at, at such a high level for a long time. And, you know, they have winners, they have dogs, and, and they have shot makers. And in the playoffs, when you have a guy like Jimmy that can elevate everyone else's level and confidence that he gives those guys, I mean, it's they were there, what, two or three years ago when no one expected them. And yeah. they're right at the, you know, right at the precipice again now. You know, you had a solid NBA career. 10 years, 11 years, whatever it was. You made a lot of money. You had a really good career. But I look at Jokic, whatever, and I say, why couldn't Spencer Hawes be that? Why, why couldn't you? You had all those traits. You could have played like – you were a better athlete than him. He doesn't even look like an athlete running up and down the court. Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't quite that talented to say the least. But I do think that, you know, if I could have pressed pause for five years and, and came in – or I guess 15 years now – I think the the way the game is now uh, with what, you know, kind of interchangeable positions, not being centers, being able to get a rebound, bring the ball up. I think my skill set would probably fit in better now, but, you know, that's not the way it bounces. Yeah. Born too early. What do you do with all your time now? Uh, well, I golf too much, but it doesn't seem to be paying <laughs> dividends. Uh, but no, it's, it's fun being back here and getting reconnected with the community. You know, I've gone on a couple of local boards and, and, doing the charity stuff, being able to really commit to it now that I'm here year round and, and have the time it has been really rewarding. Uh, we're working on a project right now, trying to redo one of the hangars in, in Magnuson Park and make that a multi-purpose facility for kids, you know, hoops, lacrosse, soccer, you know, all the, all the sports that never seem to have enough place to be able to, uh, you know, whether it's fields, courts, whatever. So, Hangar two, I'm going to shout out that project. We're uh, we're going through the process now with the city and fundraising and trying to get that thing turned around. So that's uh, you know that's been a lot of fun. How old are you now, Spencer? Just turned 35. Serious question. I mean, this is a question that we ask professional athletes all the time. Are you concerned about like not having anything to do and what you're going to do? I mean, you're super young. Super smart. You could probably do anything you want, but do you worry about that a little bit? Hey, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? I don't, wouldn't say I worry about it. I'm very blessed to be in the position I'm in. I think the first couple years were definitely the hardest. That was that was when you kind of feel like a, a ship without a rudder. But I think everything kind of settles into place and, and you start figuring out, you know, here's my situation. I'm getting married next summer. So I'm really looking forward to that and, and starting a family and just trying to kind of start small. I'm getting into real estate development and, yeah. and learning the ropes there and, and just trying to trying to surround yourself with with good people and mentors that you can you can soak up their knowledge and try and make an impact that way. 
I've always been a huge fan. Thank you for coming back on the show. Um, all the best to you. I hope to run into you. Let's play golf sometime soon. Seattle, Aldera. Although, I don't know, you seem to be using up your your Aldera guest visits. Every time I go out, yeah, you're out there, for God's sake. Don't tell Steve Smith, but uh, <laughs> probably, I'm probably going to have to wait till June. <laughs> great to hear from you, Spencer. Huge fan. Keep up all the great work, and let's talk soon. Thanks for having me on. Good to talk to you, Mitch. Zeke's Pizza has a new awesome app, which has made everyone's lives who order pizza better. Zeke's Pizza has new locations even outside of Washington State in Idaho. President Dan Black rejoins us on Mitch Unfiltered. Tell us more about Eagle Idaho, Dan. Yeah, Mitch, Eagle's been fun so far. It's opened with a bang down there. It's been fun having some unfiltered listeners check in from down there. <laughs> we, had, we, had, we had one guy tell us that we were out of Hop Tropic on Twitter, and so I had to buy him a Hop Tropic the other night, which was fun and he checked back in on twitter so that was it's <laughs> the vast reach of mitch unfiltered is you know making its way down there what you don't realize is is that you weren't even out of hop tropic he was just trying to get a free that's what mitch unfiltered listeners are all about dan <laughs> hey it doesn't surprise me <laughs> it worked <laughs> i count 25 restaurants now two states and i know oregon is next it's amazing how the footprint has grown dan i know i've asked you this before was this the master plan way back when or did something change for you and your partners along the way? Well, it wasn't the master plan. When we started, you know, our founders, Doug and Tom, they basically wanted to live the ultimate Northwest lifestyle. They like to windsurf and ski big mountain powder. And so they realized they were going to have to own their own business to do it. They're food guys. And, you know, at the time there wasn't any really great pizza in Seattle. And so filled the market need and weren't doing much other than wanting to be small business owners. And But it became apparent relatively early on that we kind of embodied the Northwest values and our roots were here and it was pretty clear we were the northwest pizza place pretty early on and so we realized that at the very least could be washington idaho and oregon and it's kind of fun even though that vision's been around for a while to kind of start to have it be realized geographically now and what's the black family ordering now that the weather is gonna change we hope someday and and shine the spotlight on some beer for us yeah you know summer rolls around we tend to get a little bit lighter on the pizza so we end up going doing some veggie stuff like Super Marg and Quentin Florentino are good. I mean, we always order a lot of Wood Butcher and Cherry Bomb and Puget Pound are the favorites, but the veggie stuff kind of comes into play. And then the beer mm -hmm. I'm excited for this summer is we're going to do a re-rack of a popular one we did with Fremont Brewing last summer. Uh, Z-Side Frozen IPA, a nice hoppy but light beer that's great for summer. And so not quite sure what date that's going to release, but it'll be a good summer drinker and that's what I'll be keyed on. You got to download the brand new Zeke's Pizza app. It's better than ever. It is simple to get started and to order your pizza, your beer, right to your door. We love Zeke's Pizza. They've been an incredible sponsor and partner of Mitch Unfiltered, and they're homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Angela Zhang from Bellevue. My friend, good morning to you. Hi, Angela. Yeah, she's the drive, chip, and putt champion. She played at Augusta where they play the Masters, rubbing elbows with the pros. I think our next guest becomes the youngest in the five-year history of Mitch Unfiltered. Oh, but do not let her barely 14 years on the planet fool you. From right here in Bellevue, she is taking... The amateur women's golf game by storm, I tell you. Eighth grader, I can't believe it. Eighth grader, Angela Zhang is with us. Hi, Angela. Hi. How are you? 
I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you for being with us. I need to go through this checklist. I have a little bell right here. You see my little bell? It's going to be true or false. I'm going to say something, and if it's true, you tell me true. If it's false, you tell me false. And every time I get a true, I'm going to ring the bell, okay? Ready? Okay. Just turned 14 years old a few weeks ago. True or false? True. Only in eighth grade. True or false? True. A couple of Tuesdays ago, qualified for the U.S. Women's Open at Pebble Beach this summer. True or false? True. You are the reigning women's amateur champion in the state of Washington, and you did that at age 13. True or false? True. You're the youngest in the history of the state of Washington to win the women's amateur. True or false? True. You were both the 2022 Washington State Junior Player of the Year and the regular amateur of the year in the state of Washington. True or false? True. How am I doing so far? You won. You're doing pretty good. <laughs> you won the drive, pitch, and putt at Augusta National at age nine with a nearly perfect score. True or false? True. Oh my God. Okay. You're the current holder of the women's course record at the home course. True or false? True. Okay, what's that score? Uh, 65. 65? And how old were you when you had it? Um, uh, 13. 13, okay. You are currently taking high school classes in the eighth grade online. True or false? True. Oh my God. You are giving me low self-esteem. All right. We need to stop. (laughs) We need to stop right now, Angela, because I'm having really, really self-esteem problems that I can't do all these things. You've got to tell me some things that Angela Zhang stinks at. You must, there's got to be something that you're no good at. Can you play ping pong? Um, let's just say I don't have the greatest hand-eye coordination when it comes to other sports. <laughs> really? No tennis? <laughs> yep. Nope. Can you play softball? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> but you got pretty good hand-eye coordination when the when the club goes back and hits the ball, the golf ball, don't you? Yep. <laughs> Amazing, Angela. Amazing. Congratulations on all the things that are going well. You've got to tell us the story if you don't mind. You saw your dad playing golf. How old were you? Tell us. I know you've been asked this a million times. Tell us the story of how you took up the game and how you got so good so fast. Um, Yeah, so um, my dad played. uh, And when I was maybe six or seven years old, he started taking my brother and I out onto the course with him. And um, I think I just kind of, I mean, I just loved it immediately. And I think... um, I didn't really realize at the time, but I think my dad, like he saw in me, like I had sort of a natural talent for the game and, um, you know, I knew how to swing the club and, you know, like putting and chipping around the greens. I had like a natural feel for it just at the start. And then, yeah, that's kind of where, how it all started. It's a good thing you didn't watch him playing tennis or playing ping pong. (laughs) You'd be, you'd be in big trouble, Angela. (laughs) So how long did it take before you started beating dad on the golf course? Um, well, he was actually, he was, he was a pretty good golfer. Um, maybe 
I'd say like a year and a half, two years before like I started shooting in the seventies. Wait a second. Hold on a second. You're you're really upsetting some of our listeners who have never shot in the seventies. You were how old when you started shooting in the seventies? Um, I think the first time I did it, I'd probably just turned nine, I think. Or maybe I was still eight. Angela, there are people listening to this that have been playing golf for 40 years and have never shot in the 70s. And you're telling us that you shot it at age eight or nine in the 70s? Yeah. Oh, my God. Do you remember the first time you broke par? Um, well, so the first year I started playing tournaments, I was like eight. And then um, I played in the U.S. Kids tournaments. And um, they were just sort of like nine hole and then competing like in the girls eight division. And um, I shot a 34 for nine holes. And that was one under, two under, something like that? Uh, two, under, two under. Two under. At age eight. Yeah. Yeah. Angela, I'm going to say this again. You shot two under at age eight. Yeah. Oh, my God. What's your best round ever and where? Um, I was a 62 at Innisbrook, the South Course. In Tampa? Yes. A 62 on the South Course? Is that a course record there? Um, I I don't know. <laughs> it better be 62. What was that, 10 under, 9 under, something like that? Yeah, it was 10 under. Oh, my God. All right, holes in one. Break it to me very gently, Angela. Don't make me feel bad. How many holes in one? Uh, two. Only two? Yeah. So you only have me by one. I've got one. You've got two. You're only one ahead of me. Now stop. I want yeah. you to stop making holes in one. No more holes in one. What was your favorite holes in one? Hole in one. Um, I mean, well, my first one was definitely pretty interesting. The first one, I um, it was just right after my eighth birthday. And um, oh it was like this uphill part three a hundred and something yards. And then, so of course, 80 year old me used a driver <laughs> and I don't know, I didn't hit the greatest shot and it just kind of rolls up the hill. And I was like, okay, we're on the green. And then I go up there and I'm like, where's my ball? <laughs> we had to have looked for like a good five minutes before um, my brother, he went up to the hole and he's like, and your ball's in the hole. <laughs> Where was this? Um, this was at my home course, the golf club at Newcastle, okay. um, China Creek number nine. Okay. So you uh, you play your golf. Your home course is Newcastle. Yeah. Do you have a teacher at Newcastle? Who's your teacher? Do you have a somebody who works with you on your game? Um, yes, uh, Peter Murphy. And then um, he, right now he teaches at Willow's Run, but um, he used to be he used to teach down in Dallas. Mm -hmm. And have you ever been to Pebble Beach before? I have a couple of times, but I've never played the course. Ooh, did you walk on? To, did you see the course at least? Isn't it beautiful? Um, a little bit. Yeah, we uh, we kind of we went out to the 18th hole, and it was oh. yeah, it looked it was fantastic. Oh, are you like crossing the days off on your calendar until you get a chance to play it? Yes. Yeah, I'm so oh, excited. Oh my god, I'm excited for you. It's going to be so fun. So. How does a 14-year-old, I know there are a lot of people in our audience that have kids who play sports. We all have kids who play sports, many of us. And, and a lot of them are yelling at me, Mitch, ask Angela if she's able to be a regular kid. How much golf is she playing every week? Is she playing every single day for hours and hours? Is she able just to be a normal Angela? Are you a normal Angela? 
Um, I'd say I try to like balance things out a little bit. Um, do you obviously put in the time for golf and practicing to keep my game short, but then I also try to just step away from the game when I'm off the course and just, yeah, like, like you said, be a normal kid, you know, like doing schoolwork or going out to see a movie and stuff like that. How often are you at the course every day? Pretty much. Yeah. Any idea how many times you've won now that you're 14 years old? Any guess? Um, I'd say like 60 or more maybe, but where, I just, I've never really counted. Where are the trophies? Is your home big enough for, do you need to put some of the trophies at our house? I can ask my wife if we can clear out some space and we'll put Angela's trophies. Where are all these trophies? Are they in boxes? Are they in the garage? Are they displayed? Where are they? Um, yeah, so originally we had this little shelf in the living room and where I would put all my trophies, but, um. As you can imagine, it's um, it started filling up. So um, now I kind of just keep the big ones out and then um, the rest are just kind of in their boxes and we're trying to find some room for them. What's your favorite trophy? What's your Or if it's not a trophy, what's your favorite accomplishment so far that you have something like a certificate or a trophy or what's the best so far? Um, I think there's a lot. It's kind of hard to pick from, but... Um, after I won the dry shipping putt, that one's probably, I mean, even right now, that's probably like my biggest trophy. Also the Washington, the women's amateur trophy and also the WJGA state trophy, that one, because I mean, I grew up playing WJGA tournaments and then I saw all these older girls, you know, lifting the trophy every year. And I was just like, I mean, I really want to have that trophy and now it's sitting in our living room. So that's great. I got to tell you something funny. Last night, as I was preparing to visit with you, I was looking around to see if I could find any fun information or anything about you that would be fun to talk about. And I stumbled upon an interview. You were on channel five. You were about yay tall after you won the, <laughs> and you, you, you're laughing because you know what I, you may know what I'm going to say. So you're on there and you're about this tall. You're up to the, the knees of the of the hosts and they're asking you questions and you say, I met Tiger Woods. And, yeah. and I'm like, Oh my God, I've got to ask her. Do you remember meeting Tiger Woods when you were there for the, were you only there the one year? Is that right? Yes. Uh, yeah. Well, I didn't exactly meet Tiger, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um, so we were kind of standing around the putting green. We hear this sort of like, chatter along on the people and i was like oh tiger's gotta be coming and then the security people kind of made us form these like two lines um just to clear way for tiger and then so we ended up in the front row and then so when he he like walked right past us and so that that was pretty cool really you know what's amazing is at 14 i mean you're just 14 a couple of weeks ago when's your birthday by the way happy birthday what day was it may 5th happy birthday um, thank you What's, what's weird is at 14, you can't have any memory, really, of Tiger Woods being Tiger Woods on the golf course. No. Right? Yeah. Unfortunately. So do you watch video? Have you seen videos of him winning tournaments and stuff, like on YouTube? Oh, my God. You don't know. <laughs> really? There was this period where, like, I literally read every single book ever written about him and watched YouTube highlights of, like, everything <laughs> what part of your game would you say is the strongest and dare i ask which part of your game if you could snap if i gave you the power through zoom to snap your fingers and you could be 
like in one second, a better something, what would it be? Um, I would say I'm definitely like, I'm for the most part, a pretty consistent driver of the golf ball. So I get it and play off the tee. And then I've also been able to gain some distance recently. So that part of my game is pretty good. And also I'd say my short game and putting, like just chipping and stuff around the greens and putting are pretty good. Um, and if there's one thing I'd like to be better at, probably just my iron game, um, you know, like being more accurate a little bit into the greens. And you're going to play on the Bellevue High School women's golf team next year. Is that right? Yes. <laughs> Who exactly is going to beat you on these other teams? Are there anybody, is there anybody in the area who can beat Angela Zhang? And by the way, the right answer is no, Mitch. There's nobody who can beat me. But go ahead. <laughs> Um, I mean, I'd say I would be a pretty tough opponent. <laughs> yeah. uh, by the way, I'm looking at some of your results. I love the, Here's my favorite two from last year. You were 13. And in July of last summer at Palouse Ridge at Washington State, you go 67, 68, 69. You must have won by a bunch of shots. I don't know if you remember how many shots you won by. How many did you win by? I want to say four, okay. but okay. I'm not 100%. And then, and then in August, the next month at age 13, you played in the Big Sky, the Mizuno Big Sky event. All you did, Angela, I'm really disappointed in these scores, 66, 69, 67. How many did you win by? I mean, it, it was definitely more than Palouse. Okay. I'll say that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. Incredible. It's just incredible. I hope you're keeping a good head on your shoulders. Now, do you, is it too early for you and your dad and your parents and your brother and whomever, your family, to talk about college, to talk about whether I want to play college golf? Do I want to go to Stanford like Tiger went to Stanford? Everybody goes to Stanford. All the great players go to Stanford. Do I want to turn pro early? Or don't you think about it too much? Um, well, for one, I definitely want to play college golf, um, you know, wherever that might be, you know, just be able to experience what it's like to be on a team and get a college education at a great school. That's something that's very important to me. So definitely number one. And then, you know, after college, if I feel like I like to and I have the game to be able to turn pro, then that's something that I'd also like to do. You didn't mention Stanford, but when I mentioned Stanford, your face lit up. You were smiling ear to ear. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely, I mean, Stanford, their women's golf team right now is just incredible. So that would be a huge goal of mine. Okay, I did something that people that do what I do probably frown upon. It's called burying the lead. I probably made the mistake that I didn't bring this up at the beginning. Even though I brought it up, we haven't talked about it. We're talking about it at the end, and people are going to say, like, Mitch, why didn't you talk to Angela about this at the beginning? Last Tuesday, you go to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Who goes? You and your dad. Does the whole family go? You drive across oh. the country in a in a in a motor home, or do you? <laughs> what do you? What does the does the dog? Do you have a family pet? No, we don't have any pets. Okay. It was just my dad and I flew over there. Okay. You yeah. go to Pittsburgh and you're going to try out for the U.S. Women's Open. Mm -hmm. How many players in the field? Now, this is with women that are young, women that are old, women that are in between. How many players are in the in the field? Um, if I remember correctly, uh, 54 players. And then I think there were 16 professionals. 54 players. 
16 professionals, Angela Zhang at 14. No. Yeah. Yeah. You had just turned 14. Yeah. Yes. Like four days ago. (laughs) Okay. Okay. You're four days into your 14th year. How many spots? Two spots. Okay. 54 players, 16 of them pro and 14 year old Angela are playing for two spots. Mm-hmm. 36 holes in the same day? Yes. What'd you shoot? Um, I shot 70-73. 70-73, which did what? Got you in a tie? Yes? Yes, a four-way tie. Oh, no. A four-way tie for, <laughs> yeah. for the dreaded two spots. And you tee it up on a what kind of a hole? Um, it was the par five first hole. Par five, um, first hole. Yeah. Four of you. Yes. And it was actually, I mean, if you hit a good drive, it was a reachable par five, but um, mine's kind of just kicked slightly. It just went into the rough. I had to, I hit it to like 30 yards or so short of the green. Unfortunately, did not get up and down for birdie. Um, so, and one of the other players did. So she got the first spot. Okay. And oh, so on to the oh, next oh, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Oh, no, Angela. Don't rush me on this. First of all, tell me, tell everybody in our audience. And if it's not true, lie to us. I'm giving you permission to lie to us. Tell us you were nervous. Please tell us you were nervous when you teed it up on that first hole. Even if you weren't, tell us you were. Yeah, I, I was. You, really? Were you truly nervous? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot on the line. Okay. So now you go to the second hole or whatever the second playoff uh, hole is. It's the, the ninth hole. And there's three of you left. Yes. For Uno spot. Yep. At Pebble Beach. Mm-hmm. At the U.S. Women's Open. Yep. All right. What kind of hole did we have? Par four, kind of fairly straight. The fairway sloped right to left. I hit a good tee shot down there. The other two players didn't have the greatest tee shots, so I had the best position going into the green. And then, <laughs> yep, I got it. And then I hit a nine iron, got it to the middle of the green, had maybe like 25 feet for birdie. And, and then hold on. I made oh, the putt. Oh, you made the putt. Where did the other where were the other women after their approach shots? One found a fairway bunker, so she hit it to the right rough, like just off the green. And then the other one was on the right side and she she hit a good shot to like right in front of the green. Did you feel like you needed to make the putt, or did you feel like I could two putt and maybe still get through with a par? Well, by the time it was my turn to putt, one had already tapped in for bogey. And then the other player chipped to seven, eight feet or so. So honestly, my goal standing over that putt was just to two putt because I felt like I two putt and then she has to make her putt or else then I'm in. So I wasn't really expecting to make the putt. But yeah, that was just a huge bonus for and, it to go in. And what did it do? It got me through. <laughs> it went right in from 25 feet for birdie, and you were off to the U.S. Women's Open. So, who's caddying for you? Now, before you answer this, I know of a guy, I'm just saying, that's over here in Bellevue <laughs> that's looking for a reason to go to Pebble Beach in the summertime. Who's going to be the caddy for Angela Zhang at the Women's Open? Oh, my dad will be. Oh, he and I are going to have to yeah. talk about this. He and I are going to have a conversation about this. Have you let your mind wander to the U.S. Women's Open and goals? Would a goal for a 14-year-old be to have fun? Well, that would be one goal. 
Would a goal be to play practice rounds with certain players or meet certain players? Would a goal be to just make the cut? Would a goal be to bring home the trophy and come on with Mitch again with the, with the big U.S. Women's Open trophy? What, what are the goals for the Women's Open? Yeah, I think, I mean, number one is just to have fun and enjoy the whole experience, you know, just kind of soak it all in. And then also just to be able to meet all these players that I've looked up to and, you know, possibly play practice rounds with them. I also want to play well and be as prepared I can for the tournament and then, you know, see, see where I end up. How long do they make Pebble Beach for the Women's Open? Because it can be, you know, it can be 7,200 yards for the men or 7,400 yards. Will they play it at a distance that's uh, that's okay for your game, you think, or no? It's probably, I, I, I'm expecting it to be on the longer side yeah. for me. Yeah. Yeah, so it's definitely going to be longer than what I play for most tournaments. So you're going to have to hit some utilities and some long irons into par fours. Yeah, yeah definitely. definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You seem like a better person than you are even a golfer. I congratulate you. Your parents have done a great job with you, and um, what a wonderful story you are, right from right here in Bellevue to the Women's Open and all these incredible successes. You're going to have a big now cheering section. All of our listeners are going to be cheering for you at the U.S. Women's Open and all of these amateur events on your way through high school and to college. Thank you, Angela. Thank you for being being on our show. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. My man, Jake Flo, Jordan Flowers. He runs the Woodenville office of Cross Country Mortgage. He's a jet setter, too. Lego land with the family. A Cavaliers game in Cleveland with Cross Country Mortgage. I hope you don't forget your mediocre friends here in Seattle, Jordan. Never, never. All the jet setting, it's just puffery, Mitch. Just puffery. Oh, very good, Jordan. Very good. Danny O'Neill will be very impressed. Good time to be a buyer in the Pacific Northwest, true or false? Absolutely true. Great time to be a buyer right now. Uh, Buyers are not having to get into a lot of multiple offer situations and escalate like they were a year ago. They're coming to reasonable agreements with sellers, not having to waive all their conditions just to get considered. And they're able to get a lot of credits to help pay for closing costs or even take advantage of helping buy that rate down. And last week, I understand you locked in a buyer with an interest rate, at least at the outset in the threes. People listening to this are going to say that's not humanly possible. True or false, Jordan Flowers, and how? True. So as referenced in the past, we are taking advantage of these temporary buy-downs in the market. What we're doing is taking that seller credit and getting enough to offer the ability to temporarily buy down an interest rate from, say, the start rates are in the mid-sixes, upper sixes, and get them starting at 3% the first year and elevates to 4 and then 5 and then the note rate. But with Within those first year or two with rates will come down, they then can refinance into that long-term secured fixed rate. All right. So what am I paying attention to if I'm a buyer or seller? What numbers as they come out over the next weeks and months? Yeah. Uh, two key markers to be watching is the CPI numbers coming out because the last year's CPI number will fall 
off, which it was a monster in March last year. If we get a lower reading this year, that will then be indicating inflation is coming down, which will be great for long-term mortgage-backed securities. And then keep an eye on the 10-year treasury. If we can get that 10-year treasury number down to about 3.2, 3.25, it's going to be an excellent time for anybody that has purchased in the last year to look to refinance and lower that interest rate as well. And if you're looking to refinance, if you're looking to lower that interest rate as well as he says, you're going to call first Jordan Flowers and his team at Cross Country Mortgage. Phone number? 425-890-2957. Jordan Flowers, the Woodenville Office of Cross Country Mortgage. Great, great partner of Mitch Unfiltered. Unfiltered. Veneers moves in. Scores! standings in year one to the base of that playoff mountain in year two the seattle kraken have clinched their very first spot in the stanley cup playoffs well it's the show that none of us wanted to do it's the final episode of the seattle kraken no table for the season there's only one guy here that's happy about this and it's darren brown because he's tired of my texts he wants no part of the no table. No, I'm just kidding. Not true. They grinded it out in game seven, but fell short. And it was an exciting journey that ended in the second round of the Western Conference playoffs. Just kind of an overview on how you think game seven went. They just didn't have their their best in game seven. You know, I think they looked like they were out of gas to me a little bit. Game seven felt a little bit like game five and that they just couldn't create much offensively. They weren't getting much inside on Dallas and Jake Ottinger and Jake Ottinger is a good enough goalie that if you don't get inside on him and you're you're keeping shots to the outside, there's not going to be much happening. And so they just didn't create enough offensively. And um, although Philip Grubauer played great and kept him in the game, and I thought, you know, part of it had a, a feel also of game seven from last series where it was like maybe they're they're kind of roping open them into uh yes you know a, like a patient approach um but it just didn't didn't work out in the end it was too little too late by the way that's the voice i should properly introduce these fellows that's darren brown the sound of hockey podcast we've got rj eskinos and dylan travers the whole crew from the emerald city hockey and and rj what darren was describing right there is what NBA playoff people will say the road team kind of hangs around, hangs around, doesn't play particularly well, and then tries to steal it in the fourth quarter. It had that kind of feel in Dallas in game seven. It did. It felt like I had kind of seen that game before uh, where the road team gets really outplayed in the first period, but it's clear their goaltender is playing well. And it feels like the longer those games go, generally the more the momentum tends to swing toward that road underdog. Mm -hmm. But you got to be able to score first. You have to be able to get on the board and kind of score that dagger goal that's going to demoralize the opponent and the crack and we're just never able to break through. Dylan, overall thoughts of game seven. You were there. What did it look like it was just one of the best game seven goaltending performances that i've ever seen from philip grubauer i mean from any goaltender but philip grubauer had it really um yeah the the ability to stop uh shots point blank the the fact that when the defense in front of him was failing and he had guys coming in on breakaways he was always right there up until you know he just couldn't anymore it was just you know it was bend 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 and then it finally had to break um i i think that's always going to be the thing that really sticks with me uh and and then you know just to be honest 
how the locker room was after the fact and the front office and the ownership and everybody who was there and how it really felt more of like this is just the first step in like a new beginning rather than an end of mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's also going to be something that'll stick with me for a really long time. But Dylan, you need to take a shot at explaining the lack of offense. Yeah, they got one power play opportunity. It looked a lot more like the early series power play opportunities instead of the one or the ones in game six that RJ was raving about after game six. How do you express the lack of offense for the the Kraken in a pivotal game seven? To me, it's it's I'm going to say this. It's a little inexcusable, given that this is what Dallas did in game four. It's what they did in game five. They gave us this look where they stagger their defensemen kind of one on top of each other instead of side by side. And it keeps it kept the Kraken from being able to get anybody in front of Jake Ottinger. They beat you with that two games earlier in the series. They got away from it in game six. You were able to beat up on Lindell and Hockenpah. Pete DeBoer makes the decision. He pulls out Hockenpah for game seven. They go back to that same strategy. This is now the third game you're getting that look. And the Kraken didn't adjust for it for game seven. Mm. And more importantly, they didn't adjust to it during either intermission break. And I think that's something that the Kraken just kind of dropped the ball on. Darren and RJ, can I bitch and moan for a second? I'm hesitant to do this because I may not know what I'm talking about. Darren, feel free to slap me around if I'm not making any sense. But on the one goal, the first goal, the Dallas goal, I was a little put off by Alexiak's effort there on that first Dallas goal, his attempt to control the loose puck. It looked like a lethargic or kind of passive attempt, and 124 took it away from the other 24 and went down to score the goal. Did I misread that? Yeah, I think I'll slap you around a little okay, bit there. Okay. I think Oleksiak tends to have that look just because he's gigantic, so every movement seems to be, it looks like he's moving slower than he is. I've always thought that about his skating, too. Like, sometimes you think, like, oh, he's going to get beat here because he's he's slow. He's not slow at all. He's a great skater for his size, and he takes two strides and he catches up with people. What happened, in my opinion, on that play is the puck was a, a high flip. When it hit, it took a weird bounce and spun backwards, and he was trying to, like, look over his shoulder to see where Hintz was the puck slowed down and he just overskated it and he mishandled it and I mean these things happen it's unfortunate you never want to turn the puck over at the blue line that's one of the most dangerous places on the ice to do it um, and he turned it over to the guy that was the leading scorer left in the playoffs and Rupe Hintz and it is what it Bad is I think uh, yeah yeah to, to Dylan's point you know eventually if you bend enough times you're going to break. And that was what the second or third breakaway opportunity they had given up in, in just a few minutes. So Grubauer is great, but he couldn't stop all of them. And uh, yeah, RJ misguided criticism. My, uh, my shot at Alexiak. You know, it's a really tough puck to track when it's up in the air like that and it's going to land in an odd direction. You can see if you watch that play back to Alexiak steering back and then all of a sudden, as soon as that puck hits the ice and he sees it's gone in direction he didn't expect, he's got to like stop really quickly and try and get to that puck. The one thing, I guess, in hindsight, if, if you're looking at it, maybe he could have just slapped that puck away to the side, you know, toward the boards rather than kind of try and settle it down and make a move with it. But that's a split second decision that mm-hmm. I just, you know, have a hard time criticizing a guy for too hard and also like Darren mentioned there were a few turnovers that I think were more egregious right before that in in the few minutes uh, leading up to that so it was part of a, a larger problem Dylan and then Wyatt Johnson for the second goal for Dallas did their young guy outplay our young guy in this series or does it not matter 
I don't know about that. It's a little hard to compare them given, you know, Matty Beniers plays center. It's a far more important position. There's a lot more responsibilities. Wyatt Johnston definitely outplayed him the last couple games of the series, though. I mean, maybe game six, you take that out, but Dallas really just didn't show up for that one as a whole. But in game seven, it was kind of a stark difference between the game seven against Colorado where Matty Beniers did show up and he was very effective. He was a great 200 foot player. I thought he had a phenomenal effort there. And we're like, wow, here's our 20 year old future superstar, the, the face of the franchise and he's already looking this good in a game seven and then in this one coming off of an an amazing game six that him and his line had and they were just completely ineffective like they were just ghosts out there and so that was just a little like okay i guess that was the rookie wall it just Mm -hmm. couldn't have happened at a worse time i'd like to graduate with you guys to what's to come now the off season that faces the crack and some of the difficult decisions and how they take the next step, because I think a lot of us, even the guys like me, don't know much about it, felt like they might not have been the better team against Colorado, but they won in seven. They may not have been the better team against Dallas and they lost in seven. So the next step of what's to come to make them the better team in this series, the favorite teams in these series. But before I do that, I want to put in proper perspective how exciting and great of a year it was and how unexpected it was, at least to a lot of us. What I'd like to ask each of you, start with Darren. If I had had you, if we were doing a podcast the night before the season opener, you probably did one on the Sound of Hockey, and you were asked, all right, what do we expect from the Kraken in year two based on personnel, based on the coaching staff that return, based on front office, based on home attendance and home crowd, What would you have said you thought was going to happen in year two to the Kraken? Yeah, we had that exact discussion. Our our hope coming in was just for meaningful hockey in March. We didn't know if they were necessarily going to make the playoffs. Um, We thought they had a chance. We thought they had a chance last year, too. And I think a lot of things went wrong. And, um, you know, the players themselves that were here said they thought they were better than they showed last year. Um, Nothing went right for them, right? They didn't gel. They they had COVID restrictions. They couldn't get to know each other very well. You know, it was their first season. So that was our hope coming in was that they were going to have just meaningful hockey in March. Uh, I know the players said their goal was the playoffs. I didn't know if I if they really believed that until they started to have some um, true success, especially like in January, right? When they hit that really, that really hot stretch there. But yeah, I think that was what I would have hoped for. So, you know, if we got to this, this situation and you told me, yeah, they're going to win round one against the defending Stanley cup champions. They're going to take round two to a game seven against Dallas and win and lose by a goal coming up one goal short right. of the conference finals. That's about as good of an outcome as I possibly could have expected. RJ, if I had asked you before the season started, are they going to make the playoffs this year? You would have said what? I would have said very likely not. Dylan and I did a, a season preview show where we kind of explained everything, why, what we thought the crack were going to do and why. And I think we both had them finishing sixth in the Pacific Division when we did our division preview. I mean, we like Darren said, we were hoping for some meaningful hockey toward the end of the season. I, I wasn't even really anticipating it was going to even come down to the last week or so that they'd still be in it. But hopefully in the last month, they'd be playing some meaningful games. That's what I was going for. And also, I was hoping that the new acquisitions in the offseason would make it a more fun team, get you more goals, because that was a big problem last year. They just did not score enough. So I was hoping for a little more exciting brand of hockey, too. And in both of those, I mean, the Kraken far exceeded sure. expectations. I mean, you look at how many games they had with six, seven, eight plus goals this season. I think, I mean, they just blew away my expectations uh, in every regard. So, Dylan, all three of you guys did not expect them to make the postseason. I guess then the next question for a guy like me is, give me the two or three reasons why 
they exceeded everybody's expectations, made the postseason, won a playoff series, and damn near got to the Western Conference final series. It's the same thing we've been talking about this whole depth. postseason. It's yeah. depth, yeah. right? Like when you can get the scoring that they did, when you can lead the NHL at five on five scoring, when you can finish at fifth or sixth in the league in goal scoring, that's massive. The fact that you had goaltending this year in a way that you didn't last year, where Philip Grubauer had an historically bad season, not just for him, but for any goaltender. Uh, he was just historically bad that first year. The fact that this year you were able to get, you know, average to even above average goaltending throughout the season. And then you're able to add in all that offense. I mean, special teams is really the only thing that they struggled with through the regular season. But given how well and how dominant they were five on five because of that depth, it just never mattered. I'm going to push you and I'll get the goaltender in here, the goalie in here. Push you guys on what you just said. Average or above average goaltending. Clearly they got that in the postseason, Darren. But everything I read from the objective writers that cover the game, they say that over the course of the season, the Kraken goaltending was below average. And Grubauer was below average. You agree or disagree with that? I mean, I think that's probably what the numbers show. But, you know, I think there's probably some context there with like the way that the Kraken play and the, the shots that they they allow and all that kind of stuff. But I think that, you know, the Kraken never needed to have like just the way that they're built to that depth that, that Dylan was just talking about. They didn't need to have the best goalie in the league. You know, that's just not how they play. They they were going to give up opportunities. They were going to give up goals, but they just needed somebody to make the saves that he was supposed to make. And Grubauer did that for the most part, I thought, this season. And when he was injured in the early parts of the season, that was when Martin Jones stepped in and had, had an awesome part of the season and really got them on the rails. When you think back to it, it you know, the Kraken didn't really take off until that stretch where Martin Jones played a bunch of games and was awesome. So, you know, I think in a way they improved that way, too, just by happening to have Martin Jones in on a one year uh, contract. Yeah. And and also with Martin Jones, too, you look at the goal support that he was getting through a lot of the season when he was on that run. I mean, it was tops in the league for a while there. And so it shows the goalie didn't have to be perfect. Uh, the last thing I would add is health. Uh, because I think this team was uncommonly healthy and you could have different reasons for it. You could chalk it up to maybe the lack of practice this season, which was a, kind of a talked about thing. Um, you could chalk it up to um, just the, the minutes distribution from Hackstall. Like you didn't have guys like we saw Nathan McKinnon, Miko Ronson in last series where guys were playing 22, 23 minutes as a forward, you know, all season. And I think that really helped health wise that they didn't have to deal with some major injuries. Sounds like I'm going to get a yes from all three of you on goaltending for next year. You guys are all comfortable going to the gate to start the 23-24 season with the same two goalies? Darren, yes? Grubauer is back, right? He's on a long-term deal and a huge ticket. Um, he's not going anywhere. That, but I but wonder that, what that doesn't mean you can, you can be comfortable with him. Are you comfortable with the next season starting with these same two guys? Would you um, be okay with that? I don't know. I mean, I think Grubauer, he showed me that he's he can still play. You know, he was outstanding in these playoffs and a big reason for their success. I tend to think of it through more of a pragmatic lens, though. Like, is it realistic right. that Martin Jones is going to be back? I don't think so, because he's on a one year deal. You know, you have Joey Decord down in um, in Coachella Valley, who's probably ready to become a backup. You have Chris Drieger that's still on a contract as well. So I just don't see um, I don't see Jones coming back. I just think they have too many goalies in the organization right now. 
now. Um, I don't know if I love that setup. I mean, they tried Grubauer and Drieger last season and it didn't work great. So, um, but hopefully, you know, Grubauer carries over his play from these playoffs and finally has some confidence. I will say one thing when he got to Colorado, that first season that he had in Colorado was very bad. And then he turned it around little by little and, and ended up a Vesna candidate when he yeah. left Colorado. So my, my. I do think it takes time for some goalies to get used to their surroundings. So hopefully that's what's happened now. You know, the first year was bad. He figured it out a little bit during the season in year two took off in the playoffs and now he'll hit the ground running in year three. And you're hope. Uh, Dylan, you raised your hand. You're, you're 18 million underneath the cap. How many yeah. games does Dylan, the backup goalie play? How important of a piece is that? Would you spend some of that free agent money on a backup goalie, or would you try to do it from within the organization? I would definitely do it within the organization. I don't think you need to bring back Martin Jones. I think you can figure out and have a training camp battle or what, however you're going to do it, figure out if Joey Decor is going to be your backup or if Chris Drieger is going to be your backup. They're already there. They've already done good stuff for your organization, as we speak, even with Coachella Valley right now. I think just for me, the important thing is Philip Grubauer is your number one, but you don't want to lean on him the way maybe some other teams lean on their number ones. I think what One of the things that benefited him this year was that he did miss all that time with injury and then he came back. It took him about a month to get going again. And then he was rock solid the last two months of the regular season and then rock solid through the playoffs. I'd love to see Philip Grubauer just get an easier workload, maybe like 50 games, something like that. Not not push him to 60. Uh, And I think because you have two options in both Decord and Drieger, the Kraken should be able to do that. Some of the other decisions facing Ron Francis, RJ. You've got some restricted free agents, which I, I imagine, I'm just guessing, means that you have a right to match any contract that they sign somewhere else. Guys like Borgen, Geeky, and Dunn. You've got some unrestricted free agents that can go anywhere. Donato and Susie. Would you tell me and our audience, what are the big ones? What are the important ones for Ron Francis and the Kraken organization? Right. Well, it's all going to start with Vince Dunn. That's going to be kind of the biggest ticket going into this offseason. Now, he is a restricted free agent, so the Kraken do have his rights. But the defense market uh, for a defenseman like Vince Dunn, who had a season like he had this year, it's really inflated over the last couple of years. And and I worry about what that number is going to look like. I'm sure his ask is going to probably be in the eight and a half to nine million cap hit range, which is far higher than anything Ron Francis has ever signed as a GM. I think Francis will probably try and talk him down to the seven, seven and a half million range uh, but we'll see where that ends up I think the Kraken really have to make a decision all right is he your franchise defenseman because you might have to pay him like it and given that he his play was not as good in the playoffs as it was this regular season I think they have some legitimate questions about that but at the end of the day I don't think they have a whole lot of options really you kind of have to get him resigned how do you feel about Dunn I like him a lot I think RJ just hit the nail on the head though I think he he didn't I don't think he really rose to the occasion in the playoffs as much as I would have hoped but yeah he's a he had a huge emergence this year on, on the top pair with Adam Larson. You know, I don't know where they would be without him. So, yeah, I think you got to pay him. I think you got to bring him back. Other decisions that they have to make? Darren? Well, that's a good question. I think they can get they can as deep as they were. I think there's another opportunity to add some offensive prowess to their to their forward core. The thing that's interesting is their top nine forwards from this season are all under contract for next season. So you think they're going to get some some improvement probably from Matty Beneers as he grows a little bit more. You'll probably get um, I mean, maybe Shane Wright is going to be ready, although I'm I'm not convinced on that just yet. But then maybe they can add one more guy to the top six. Uh, They have the cap space to do it. That causes the trickle down effect and makes them even deeper um, down into their lineup. So um, that's what I would hope to see is to add a little bit more offensive punch.
crunch. I mean, there's going to be a lot. Uh, the fact that you do have cap space, but you got to make sure that you manage it long term. You're going to have some contracts coming off the books in the you know seasons upcoming. Jordan Everly's only going to have one year left on his deal. Yanni Gord's only going to have two left on his. Alexander Wenberg's only got one left. So you got to keep an eye towards the future, especially with the fact that you're going to have to be re-signing Matty Beniers. At some point, you'll probably have to re-sign uh, a Shane Wright to an extension once he comes up and starts playing with you. But I agree with RJ. I mean, this all comes down to Vince Dunn and whether or not the organization views him mm. as your cornerstone defenseman because mm -hmm. that is going to take up a ton of your cap space for the next decade probably i want to get your guys's thoughts uh, darren just took a little swipe a little baby swipe at shane wright he doesn't think he's ready what about shane wright what about riker evans what about cartier what's his role on the team next year rj take on those three guys all right, so we'll start with Shane Wright, and I think he's going to get every opportunity uh, to, to center a line on this team. It, it's it's tough because you look at the forward depth, and if it continues to be as good as it was last season, where do you put him? And I think maybe end up moving Yanni Gord to wing for a little bit, but you have to kind of make room for him. You want Shane Wright playing NHL minutes, and maybe they'll find a way to get him to the AHL. I still don't know if he's eligible uh, to spend the season there. It's something I'm going to ask for clarification on from Ron Francis in a couple days, but that might make a big difference. Uh, whether there's a spot there. Ty Cartier, I mean, we talked about him over the course of the playoffs. I think the fact that he doesn't require waivers is going to hurt his chances at getting a roster spot because you might have other guys that would need waivers. You don't want to risk sending them down. But man, if he keeps playing like he did uh, in the playoffs this year, they will have no choice but to keep him on the roster. And like Dylan has, has said to me, he might even start up on that top line with Matty Beniers again if they, if they can keep that chemistry going. The third one, Riker Evans. I think that's really interesting because you are going to have a, de a departure on the blue line there with Carson's Susie very likely gone. I can't imagine they bring him back. Riker Evans, I think, will have a chance to earn that roster spot to fill back in basically on that lefty side. I mean, Jacob Megna is going to be there. He's under contract for another year, but I think it's going to be between Megna and Riker Evans uh, for that spot on the third D pair. It'll be a fun competition to watch uh, in training camp because they play such different styles too. Evans, you know, the real offensive type defenseman, great puck mover. Jacob Megna, more stay at home type of guy. So we'll see which style Dave Haxtell prefers. Yeah there and then the final piece to this Darren is the draft next month I read up on the draft I see where they have a first rounder somewhere near 20 is it possible they have three second round draft choices and the upcoming draft from trades that they made over the last couple of years. Is that right? Yeah, they sold big at the uh, at the deadline last year. So where where Vegas was able to uh, stock up on a bunch of picks at their expansion draft, Seattle wasn't really able to do that because nobody was able to, willing to make those side deals. But they made up for it at their first deadline when they recognized they were out of it. They had a fire sale and sold everybody that was going to give them any kind of asset back. So okay. they're they're picking deeper in the draft this year, because but they're better. Um, yeah. you know they have a really really good track record between Robert Cron and uh, and and Ron Francis at the top of the uh, the draft table there. They know what they're doing. They know how to find value even later in the in the draft. All so. right. We're at the end of the Kraken no table. We're at the end of the end. Hopefully you guys will be back with us next year when we do the Kraken no table throughout the regular season. Uh, I can't let you go without having all three of you stick out your neck. And tell me who's going to win this thing. Who's going to win the cup this year, RJ? Uh, Vegas. I, I don't want that to be the case, but I, I think uh, Vegas was my pick at the start of the season. I know Dylan's not surprised at all to hear this, but I just think they're the best all around team, the least flawed. It's going to be a close series between them and Dallas. But as some of my media friends in Vegas will say about that team, they're just immune to losing. They find ways to win. I think they'll continue to do that. Vegas over who? 
That's going to be tough. You know what? I'm going to go with Florida. I, I think hot. they're on a roll. They've got the momentum God, going. Hot. Yeah. And, and Carolina, it's tough. They've lost some big like Max Pacioretty, Andrei Svechnikov. You know, they're not as deep forward wise as they would be if they were totally healthy. I, I think Florida is just going to have the edge and goaltending, especially too. don't trust Freddie Anderson uh, in this series. We'll see if he's the, the goalie for most of it. But I, I trust Florida's goaltending weirdly more with Sergei Bobrovsky. Darren, agree or disagree with RJ? Uh, disagree only because I'm on record predicting Carolina. Carolina coming into the playoffs. So I'm going to stick with Carolina. Um, I think you're, you're right that they have some injuries there, RJ, but also um, they've kind of shown that they can overcome that. They've, they've rolled pretty easily through these, through these playoffs so far. So I'm, I'm sticking with Carolina. I love Rob the bot. I think he's a a great coach, so he knows what buttons to push. So I've got a Carolina and I've got a Vegas and I've got a guy with a lot of hair who picked Dallas to start the postseason. I think I remember hearing in Mm -hmm. some bracket, in some pool, you can stay with Dallas and just make it a three-way tie, or you can break the tie. What are you going to do? Uh, you know, I, I would love to stay with Dallas, but they look exhausted after that Game 7 when I was there. And just looking at them, I don't know that they can get through a Vegas. Uh, so I, I think i got to pivot away from Dallas, unfortunately. Okay. I'm actually I'm going to go with Darren. I think, I think Rod Brindamore and the Carolina Hurricanes are the only team with a system capable of beating a Vegas team. Because I think that's what it takes, is you have to just be ultra-disciplined against Vegas in order to beat them. And I think Carolina is the only team left that's going to have the uh, the legs and the discipline to be able to somebody do it. explain to me one of you three guys somebody jump in and tell me how did vegas get so good uh they've they've only got one first round pick still in their system because they traded all of their picks and prospects away to get all these guys for right now ah ah so they're not going to be good darren they're not going to be good for the next 10 years they're just going to be good for a short window it's a ponzi scheme i think with <laughs> vegas i think they're they're Honestly, I mean, they're, it, it's interesting to me that they've kept their window open for as long as they have. But I mean, they've they, to Dylan's point, they've traded everything away. So um, they've brought in some star players. They seem to somehow manage to circumvent and go way over the cap every year, like just all kinds of different things. They, they're robbing Peter to pay Paul. Got it. Um, eventually, it's going to catch up with them. But so far, they're in a good spot. Well, as we finish off, let's finish the way we started. I'm, I'm heartbroken that our friend Andy I couldn't be a part of this podcast. The whole thing was kind of built around him. He was going to be the the centerpiece. We lost him before the uh, the postseason started. We remember him. And we, uh, we have operated the last month with him in our hearts, for sure, for sure. Emerald City Hockey, RJ and Dylan. RJ, thanks very much. RJ Eskinos. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Mitch. And my guy, Dylan Travers. Thank you, Dylan. Thank you so much. Had a fun time. And the voice of the sound of hockey. He's the goalie. He's the one who brings level-headed, reasonable thoughts to the table Darren Brown thank you Darren thank you I think that's the best compliment I've ever gotten thanks for having me Mitch ladies and gentlemen she's the director of financial planning at our Mitch Unfiltered partner Evergreen Golf Call Katie Versio she's also my arch nemesis when it comes to financial trivia Katie how are you how's everyone over at Evergreen Golf Call I'm doing well Mitch thanks for having me everybody's good over there our theme today is what So today we're doing a market update. Okay, which brings us to three questions. I typically go over three. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good today. So I'm ready for question number one. As I know, we discussed quite a bit over the last few months. 2022 was the worst year on record for a balanced portfolio with both stocks and bonds down double digits. 
So true or false? In 2023, both stocks and bonds are up. Is that true or false? It's absolutely true, Katie Bercio. That's right. Yes. It is true. So the market is off to a much better start this year, even though there's a lot more economic uncertainty. Mm -hmm. The stock market's up about 8% and bonds are up nearly 3%. Very good. And I am up one for one, which screams at me, quit, Mitch. Quit right now and go out one for one. But I'm not going to do it. I'm going to press my luck. What's question number two, Katie? Okay, so number two is another true or false. We'll see how you do with this one. So the yield curve is currently inverted, meaning that short-term interest rates are higher than long-term interest rates. Is that true or false? I'm going to say false, Katie. That's false. Ooh, it's actually true. Ah. So I know it's uh, it's counterintuitive. Typically, you think the longer time frame you have, the more interest you get. Mm -hmm. But it's actually the opposite in this environment. It's typically an indication of a recession, and you actually get more interest for shorter time periods. That's actually surprising. It leaves me one for two. I'm not quitting. I'm continuing to press my luck. I'm going two for three. What's question number three, Katie? The 10-year treasury currently pays an interest rate of 3.5%. So knowing what we talked about in number two, what do six month treasuries yield? So 10 year yields three and a half. Does a six month treasury yield 4%, 5% or 6%? We know more. The question is how much more? I'm going B. I'm going 5% for 667. I'm going 5% for two out of three today. That's right, it is 5%. So it's an interesting environment where you only get three and a half percent for holding a position for 10 years, wow. but you get 5% on the yeah. short term. So it's a really interesting environment with interest rates elevated at this level. We think now is a good time to lock in return. You can get better interest rates on money markets now. There's a lot more options for investors to park their cash than just a regular savings account. It's an unusual time in the world, the financial world, and they are there for you. Evergreengk.com. Not only a great partner of Mitch Unfiltered and part of the reason that we are possible on this podcast, but just a terrific resource. So check them out, evergreengk.com. And once again, it's great to be joined by John Waterstrap, the owner of Fireside Home Solutions. Always a great sponsor, title sponsor of our Beat the Boys competition. John, how are you? Doing great, Mitch. Thanks for having me on. Another football season is in the books, and we know football season is synonymous with fireplaces and Fireside Home Solutions. But still, some cold and damp months ahead, John. Yep, there is definitely some cold, damp months ahead. And there's no better time to buy than these couple months. So February seems to always have a little bit of rain and we're getting those cold weathers. Our, our lead times are down. We want you to get those products into your home and keep you nice and cozy and warm. And also we have some great discounts coming. Soup to nuts. What's the time frame now? So we're at about two weeks. Installers are getting a little bit of our lead times down. So two weeks, we can get that product right into your house and no better time than now. Allow me, John, to ask you the question I asked our other partners. How was 2022 for Fireside? The good and the challenges. What would you say? Oh, well, if I've looked 
back on that, you know, stock definitely being one of those big issues that we had. But again, we, we were blessed with just great customers and being able to get those fireplaces in and be able to stock products that we needed to and people being patient with us and uh, really thankful to have a great year this year. So if you could snap your fingers and accomplish a few specific goals in 2023, besides your Seahawks winning the Super Bowl, what would they be for Fireside Home Solutions, John? Five star service to all our customers, but most importantly is keep our lead times down. You know, we want to be able to help as many customers as we can out there and lead times are important, you know, to get through customers, just like if you're at any kind of restaurant or anything, you want to be able to get to those customers as soon as possible. And like I said, I think stock will be better this coming year. We want to keep our lead times down so we can accomplish a lot next year. I can genuinely say that Mitch Unfiltered would not be where we are four and a half years later without our terrific sponsor, John Waterstrat and Fireside Home Solutions, literally the title sponsor of every audience contest that we do on the podcast. So begin your search for a new fireplace at firesidehomesolutions.com. Unfiltered. Stuff segment, episode 240. Are we over a C-plus yet or not? Oh, sure. I you mean, haven't heard the, the interviews yet. but No, I haven't yet. But uh, Angela Zhang, is that her name? Zhang. Zhang, okay. Yeah. Yep. I, I think Spencer Hawes brings us to a B-minus. Oh, he does. Yeah. His, uh, his story uh, wow. about Roy Williams coming to the house. <laughs> it's crazy. His story about how his parents made him call every head coach to tell him that he wasn't coming. And when Roy Williams called, he tried to hide from his mom at <laughs> 6'11 and a half. <laughs> I mean, he was afraid to get on well, the phone and let Roy Williams down. Who wouldn't be? I would, too. I would tell Mike Krzyzewski, no thank you to Duke. Like, no, of course, I wouldn't do that either. And, of course, Mitch Levy's follow-up question is, how exactly does a 6'11 and a half guy hide in the house? <laughs> right. <laughs> how many coaches were coming to the old Mitch Levy High School looking for no. you back in the day? A lot of them. <laughs> the boss tells a story about Switzer coming in during lunch. In a full length, like fur coat, and where's the boss? Just screaming it. He's just like, <laughs> wants to crawl under a table. He was so effing embarrassed, but I cannot uh, relate Not to that. Not so embarrassed that he didn't go to the school. Yeah, he ended up, yeah, he wanted to always yeah, go there, but yeah. just as everyone's looking at him, and he, you know, he's just like, oh my God. But yeah, I cannot relate to that, what that's like. Uh, these Imagine if you're Spencer your Hawes, even though you, your, your whole family or most of your family went to Washington, your father, your uncle, the whole story of the Hawes, yeah. Washington, you're Steve. from Seattle, yeah. But imagine if you take your trip like he did to North Carolina, mm hmm. And they wine and dine yet North Carolina. And you see the images of Michael Jordan, James Worthy, and Dean Smith. Never ends, yeah. How do you go on a visit to North Carolina as a 17 or 18-year-old kid who loves basketball and leave there without telling him, I'm in. Right. I'm in. I'm coming to – I mean, it's, it's I'm impossible. A, I'm such a wimp. I would have committed to every trip I, to everyone. <laughs> like, I, I can't say no to this. You got Brad Doherty and Sam Perkins walking you around campus. Like, how do I say no? I would say yes to everyone. And I would have said no if Matt Doherty was uh, walking me around campus. <laughs> Wait, it's Brad, right? Well, two different people. What did I say? You said Brad. Oh, okay. He was the big center who yeah, was yeah, pretty yeah. good. Who's Went Matt Doherty? Oh, you don't know who Matt Doherty is? I don't think so. Go no. back and do your right. uh, research on Matt Doherty. I shall. Yes. Another North Carolina, not as legendary as, <laughs> as some of the other names that you mentioned. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> anyway, other stuff segment. Do you want to start or do you want me to start? I know you'll be thrilled that Jake Paul just bought a house in Puerto Rico. Are we still on Jake Paul? Well, it just... I, 
He bought a house for $15.7 million. So what? what does he do for a living? I don't know. What does he do? He Is counts it for boxing? Money. He counts his the money. Six... He's a YouTuber. You need me to tell you? He bought it from a guy named Yachty Molina. Molina? Plays a, he's an MLB catcher. Yeah. The house is important. Yadier, Yadier Molina. Yeah, yes. but if you know him well, you call him Yadi. Yadi. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's a two-story pro, eight bedrooms, eight bathrooms. You, you got to see, he's got this arcade downstairs, pool table, full length, big time golden tea machines. On one of the walls, it's not a wall, it's a batting cage. With a, there's a big net. You just yeah. walk through the net and take some cuts. I mean, this house is Beautiful. unreal. And now Jake and Paul gets to live in it <laughs> and it tortures me. I don't know why. Sorry, go ahead. Are you following the big NBA news this week? And I don't mean the playoffs. No. The big news is they had the NBA draft lottery. Everybody is on their ear over Victor Wembenyama from France, seven foot four. Woj calls him the greatest prospect, not in NBA history, in sports history. <laughs> oh, my God. Good luck, kid. <laughs> no pressure. Bigger than LeBron, Shaq. Shaq. Oh, my gosh. A bigger prospect than anybody. Apparently, he is a superstar. Just He's going to walk through the doors, and he's going to be a superstar. Are you a conspiracy theorist or not? Are you generally... I'm generally... Do you believe what you see? Do you believe what you see most of the time? Yeah, typically. But you talk about, like, like freezing the, well, the envelope for the 84 draft, that for, kind of for thing. For Patrick Ewing? Yeah. I was driving around, maybe driving to go play golf, and it was the morning of the draft lottery. The draft lottery was going to be that night. And somebody on the radio was talking about the four or five teams that have the best chances, the ping pong balls. Oh, they're still doing ping pong balls. Kind of, sort of. Okay. To land the number one pick because the draft lottery was that night. Uh -huh. And they start listing the teams and I'm in the car and I go, I already, I don't even have to watch. Oh, that I do know. Yeah. I, I don't even have to watch. Yep. San Antonio is going to get it. Yep. Of the teams, they, they mentioned Detroit and... They mentioned Houston, and I can't remember. And then they said San Antonio, and it's I over. thought Greg Popovich. I was like, "It's over." Why no. do they even? Why do they even take us through the charade? That's right. Just yeah. give them the Greg Popovich. <laughs> That's right. And what happens that yeah, night? They San Antonio it. gets it. Unbelievable. And then they announced that Tim Duncan has agreed. He's going to work with them. He's seven four and lean, and Tim yeah. Duncan's a perfect guy, and the whole thing just makes sense. Yeah. Come on, but really? What was it legit or was it? What's was the it? motive for the NBA to put him in San Antonio? Oh, it's perfect. They want San Antonio to be good. They want this guy to be good. That's not even a big they market. Want, Why do they yeah, want San Antonio no, no, no. to be good? They want Popovich. They want Popovich to be great. They want him working with... The whole thing seems too orchestrated. <laughs> it's, I don't know. Immediately, I thought yeah. San Antonio was going to get him. Well, immediately. When, when they got Duncan, it was that was the first one, right? The first Well, that's when, of... you know, the story about Popovich, he was like the general manager... And then they came out of that. They already had David Robinson, who had gotten hurt. Right. And because David Robinson got hurt, they had a terrible year. He was out the whole year. Yeah. They ended up with the number one draft choice. <laughs> oh, by the way, the year that Tim Duncan's That's coming right. out. And what did Popovich do? He fired the coach and named himself the coach <laughs> that, right. that offseason. <laughs> That's right. I remember that story now. Yeah. Yeah. And it now he gets Victor Wembanyama. A little suspicious. Here's what Gilbert Arenas said. Okay. Do you like Gilbert Arena, the guy with the guns yeah, oh, in the sure. locker room? Yeah, yeah. Quote, I would have told you the Spurs were going to get him. Nobody paid attention to San Antonio, who was tanking all year. Last time they had 20 wins was the year before they got Tim Duncan. This is the only team that he's going to go to. It's the safest team. This is supposed to be the future of the NBA. Where else is the NBA going to put him with Pop in San Antonio? And I'm not the biggest Gilbert Arenas fan, but yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. Really? No. 
Uh, PGA Championship. I have two golf stories. You Brooks probably have Kepka. Oh, I don't have that. You won it. <laughs> Looks like somebody not put my a, fave. A plate of poop under Mitch's nose. Nah, right I'm now. not yeah. a big fan. Okay. Live golfer Brooks Kepka. Yeah. Won the PGA Championship. By the way, it's his fifth major championship. He's won two U.S. Opens and three PGA, so he's got five. How many guys in the history of golf have won five or more major championships in their lifetime? Ten. Twenty. Okay. Times two. He is the 20th, hmm. 20th player ever to win five or more majors. He's the winner at Oak Hill outside of Rochester, New York. It's pretty good, though, Kepka. Or inside of Rochester, New York. All right. Very good, and I don't like him very much, but go ahead. You like Tom Kim? Love him. Do you see his uh, mud bath? Saw it. That he took? Yes. Going after a ball and it was clearly not Fell a... Fell right in the marsh. Oh, my gosh. Just was disgusting. You see what he said at the end with kind of a sheepish smile? I saw him actually bathe himself in the next creek that he could find. Yeah. He went down into a creek to bathe himself. He yes, did, yeah. In the middle of the round. He was yeah. a pretty good sporter. He was covered, if you haven't seen it. Oh, covered yeah. in mud. Oh, yeah. He said, you know... I miss the days when I played on a tour without cameras. <laughs> I thought that was kind of <laughs> when funny. When did he ever play on a tour without cameras? <laughs> right. And then your buddy Dustin Johnson. Yes, my buddy. Yeah. He, he didn't hurt his back earlier this year swinging a club, apparently. Yeah, I know this story. You know this one. Yeah. Yeah, he strongly insinuated it was a different kind of stroke that caused the injury, apparently. But he was out in New York getting ready for the PGA at Oak Hill, and he, prepared, he was prepped with a few questions, and... The muscle pull that yanked him from the Saudi International Golf Tournament back in February. Yes. The former Masters champ didn't explain fully what caused the problem, but he yeah. sure hinted at it. It had something to do with fooling around with his wife, Paulina Gretzky. He said, yeah, lifting up a kid. He said, just a bigger kid. All right. We got it, Dustin. You got an attractive <laughs> wife. Good for you. Girlfriend, whatever she is. Anyway, the journalist, of course, couldn't stop laughing. Everyone loved it. And yeah, so that's apparently how he hurt his back as a pro athlete. Are you excited to get the new edition of the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue? I used to be. Not necessarily my thing now. It feels a little... I'm not even sure that I knew that it still existed. Yeah, it's surprising in a way. In it's still out there. Yeah. There are four new cover women. Okay. One of which... Yeah. Let's say hello to 81-year-old Martha Stewart. Oh, man. The Martha Stewart? The Martha Stewart. Who's 81, by 80, the way? 81 looks great. Isn't on the cover. I've seen the picture. She's I've not seen the 81. She's 81 years old, and she is on the cover of the latest swimsuit issue of Sports Illustrated. And she looks great. She's an inspiration to, to women and older people like me around the world. <laughs> yes, your people. We all say, go, Martha, go, Martha. I wow. think it's great. I saw an interview with her on the Today Show about it. Yep. God, 81. Sports Illustrated called Martha Stewart and said, hey, how about being the cover girl or one of the cover girls of our swimsuit edition of Sports Illustrated? I like it. I mean, it's, you know. I love it. You could probably find a, a 20-year-old, 10, some, you know, there's plenty oh, of those. Of course. That's easy. 81 Let's, years old. She's, you know, ever since she uh, went to the can. I think I have that right. Do I have that no, right? No, she's 81. She's it's 81. Un, yeah. She just you looks. Checked, you checked on me, didn't oh, you? Oh, I did. You didn't believe me. She just looked 62 her whole life. Even when she was 42, she looked. I think it's great. But since prison, I think she's sort of come out of her shell. And yeah, she's loosened up a little yeah, bit. Yeah, her and Snoop Dogg. She's not prim and proper so much no. anymore. Well, she was in prison. Uh, you don't remember insider trading? Yeah. Yeah, she but went did away. Did she really go to prison? She was away. I don't or know was what she it was like, like at the house. There. Well, who knows? At but, the house with somebody standing But, like, outside. her and Snoop Dogg are best friends. Like, it's crazy. Really? Like, they hang out all the time, her and Snoop Dogg. Oh, come on. 
I'm saying, like, she's I come out of her see, shell. I want to see her and Snoop Dogg at a restaurant. Somewhere. Oh, there's video after video of those two. Like, they, they work together a lot. Anyway, I, 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 I kind of like her now is my point. Like, yeah. she's, she seemed kind of stuffy on her show. Did you ever think that she would ever be on the cover of Sports uh, Illustrated? No, I did not. Not at 22, not at 42, not at 62. But at 81, she said, let's wow. go. Now I got to go see And this. she said on, on the TV, she said, I was a yes as soon as they called. If they asked me, I would need about two years. To get ready? Yes. And even then, I probably wouldn't be happy with the way it turned out. <laughs> even If I didn't have to work for two years and could do nothing but watch what I, my intake of food and drink and go to the gym, I probably still wouldn't want to look. Probably. <laughs> two years, I couldn't. Uh, anyway. Would you like to know where your favorite college football quarterback, Michael Penix, is slotted in next year's NFL draft. The way too early NFL mock drafts are out. Uh, something called Yard Barker has Michael Penix as the 10th overall player in the first round of the NFL draft. The third quarterback taken in the NFL wow. draft behind Caleb Williams, last year's Heisman Trophy winner. They have going number one overall, the Makes USC sense, quarterback. Yeah. And then this other guy, Drake May out of North Carolina. He's going in the top five. Michael Penix, third quarterback taken, 10th overall in the way too early NFL mock draft. Where was he scheduled to be drafted had he have come out? I don't think we ever got to the point of really knowing for sure. Okay, But uh, I think most people thought like, Maybe he would slip into the late stages of the first round okay. and be more likely a second round, second or third round draft choice. He hasn't played played one more second than he, he did not. after that evaluation. Nope. If anything, he's just older. Yes, he is. And he's skyrocketing up the, the draft for some reason. <laughs> he hasn't thrown one fucking Well, ball. he's not skyrocketing because <laughs> it's a different group that's going to be drafted next year. It's not the same group of people. Fine. And people but are there's still assuming, some good ones in there. People are assuming he's going to get better. People are assuming that he's going to have a big year. Yeah. But you're right. Bigger than last year? That's a pretty big year. No, he's not going to have a bigger year than last year. I, I can't imagine he's going to have a bigger year than last year. Because I'm a nerd, I was watching a little bit of the spring game, and, and they, they put yeah. the stats up there of the returning receivers and the amount of balls that caught that are coming back this year and the touchdowns and the yard. I mean, that's incredible, the kind of year he could have if he can stay healthy and – He's got some targets. I mean, it could be a fun, fun season out at Montlake. Totally. Yeah. If he doesn't get hurt. If he doesn't get hurt, yes. Which he which he's done many yeah, times Indiana, at least in his Indiana days. That's yeah. right. Yep. Yeah. All right. Bill Gates' new mansion all set for the move-in. San bachelor, Diego. His bachelor pad. That's, Saw it. That's some bachelor pad. Beautiful. So his, I think his, he's pissing off the neighbors, though, isn't he? Well, his neighbors are now extremely happy that the construction is finished after years totally. yeah. of disturbances. Yeah. He completely transformed this multi-million dollar pad in Del Mar, San Diego, Gutting the whole thing, adding solar panels, you know, because he's got to save a couple bucks on the electricity bill, you know, put mm -hmm. some solar panels in. You need some free electricity when you're him. Mm -hmm. um, bunch of other lugs. But I love that they bought this for $43 million in 2020. The, the two of them, him and Melinda. And he just gutted the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you can. If you can, I know. But you spent $43 million, You can't even live in it. You got to spend another three years well, to gut it. if you were worth $100 billion. I, I get it. Would, I would, you, would you ever live in any place that was lived in by somebody else? I'm not shitting on someone else's toilet. That no. ain't happening if I have his money. I would, forget living. I might not walk into a place that was ever owned by somebody else. <laughs> I have no friends, no, no neighbors. No. I'm not going anywhere. I'm definitely never living. I'm definitely <laughs> never spending the night, unless I have to in a hotel. Yeah. I'm definitely never spending the night in a, in a place 
that has been lived in by anybody else. Yeah, I'm with Even you. Martha Stewart. I, <laughs> I just love that he blows $43 million on a house. Of course. Let's gut he's that sucker. Buy, he's just buying the land. He's buying the land. Whenever yes, he exactly buys anything, right. he's buying the land. Oh, and it's a pretty good piece of land if you haven't seen it. Oh, yeah, it's right on the water. It's beautiful. Uh, right on the water. Uh, waves yeah. are hitting you while you right. sleep. You got to get out of here. So let me, uh, let me throw a couple of last ones at you and then the RIPs. Number one prospect of the class of 2024, of Brett's class. Okay. The number one prospect of Brett's high school class <laughs> yeah. uh, is a guy by the name of Dylan Rayola. Okay. He at one point had decided he was going to Ohio State. He's the quarterback, number one in the class. He's decided he's not going to Ohio State. He's going to head to Georgia. You think Georgia needs the number one player in the class of 2024? Jeez. And I'm just, I'm glad to know he's the son of former NFL offensive lineman Dominic Rayola. Because I was starting to think that he might be the son of one of my college friends at Syracuse back in the 80s named Joey Rayola, who was all of 5'6", 125 pounds. <laughs> Probably not the same Rayolas? No. Okay. And Joey Rayola, by the way, a striking resemblance, the kid I went to school with, a striking resemblance to the karate kid. Oh, Ralph Macchio? Oh, my God. Back in night, so picture what Ralph Macchio would have oh, looked like in 85. This kid must have loved being... People were like, we didn't know that... Ralph Macchio goes to Syracuse. <laughs> oh, that much? Well, really? Oh, he looked just like him. He probably, I, I think he looked just like him. Did he take advantage of it? No, he didn't. Take wow, he missed an opportunity. Wednesday, here's a weird one for you. Wednesday, hotshot. The Michigan Wolverines hired a guy this past Wednesday uh -huh. named Glenn Shemmy. His nickname Shemmy. Shembeckler. Ever heard of the last name? A little bit. Yeah, it sounds As familiar. As assistant in Michigan, yeah. director of football recruiting. Okay. The son of legendary coach Bo Schembechler was hired as the director of football recruiting assistant on Wednesday. Okay. On Saturday, Glenn Schembechler, the son of legendary coach Bo Schembechler, resigned his position. <laughs> they had a hard week. That's a hell of a career. This was a statement from the school effective this afternoon. Shemmy Schembechler has resigned his position with Michigan football. We are aware of some comments and likes on social media oh, no. that have caused concern and pain for individuals in our community. Michigan Athletics is fully committed to be a place where our coaches, staff, and student athletes feel welcome and where we fully support the universities and athletic departments' commitment to diversity equity and inclusion apparently I, I can't tell you anything more than that his twitter account shemmy Schembeckler scout was deactivated sure. on on saturday they didn't like some of the likes and some yeah. of the tweets you don't have to even tweet anymore you could just like something that's what they did right i mean likes yeah i mean we've said it before technology is eventually going to take us all down all of us another weird one from the world of college sports usc athletic director mike bone okay resigns abruptly as athletic director under murky circumstances. Remember, Mike Bone was hired from Cincinnati in 2019. He lured Lincoln Riley from Oklahoma. How has that gone? Yep. He had the Heisman Trophy winner hit the lottery for his school by taking his school out of the Pac-12 and putting them into the Big Ten. Everything was going great. He had big jumps and resurgence from both the women's and men's basketball teams in his last three years, mm -hmm. and yet he's out. He's resigning his position. University President Carol Folt says, quote, we conducted a thorough review of the athletics department, including its operations, culture, and strategy, and they may have found, according to the Los Angeles Times, some misconduct in the uh, athletic department. So Mike Bone has abruptly resigned after doing all these great things 
for the university. He's out. I have to know what that misconduct is. You can't just leave me hanging. It, 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 there's nothing. I don't have anything yet. Okay. Give me a week. All right. Hot shot. Yeah. Don't try to deliver flowers to Lady Gaga. Okay. I hadn't planned on it, but good. good Cops advice. rushed to Lady Gaga's place on Thursday after her security called police to report there was a man on the property who, when he was detained, he said, all I was doing was dropping off some flowers. Mm. Yeah. Keep your distance there. <laughs> Especially after her dog walker was shot and almost killed. Yeah, you might want to keep your distance from uh, oh, unannounced visits to Lady Gaga. Yeah. Some RIPs before the uh, before the headlines. The greatest. Well, you're not going to lie. You, you're probably going to want me to leave the room when you bring up this name. Why? Because you're not going to like what I have to say about him. Really? Yeah. You're, Jim Brown? You're not going to like what I have to say. So you're probably going to want me to leave. Don't bring up the bad things. He's a fucking psychopath. <laughs> He is evil incarnate. Read about him. Really? No one loved beating the shit out of 18-year-old women oh, more than yeah, him. I know that he had a problem. Loved it. Oh, punch breaking jaws and ribs at the Playboy Mansion. God, he loved it. He All right. He couldn't get enough of beating the Oh, how about the one he threw off the uh, sorry, allegedly threw off his uh, second story balcony when he was arrested for attempted murder and then she recanted and said she slipped. How about that one? Because you know we all know when you slip you then dive over balconies typically okay. when you slip. All right. He's a psychopath. And anyone who jumps in about, oh, sorry, he was a great lacrosse player. Let's make sure we all get that out there. He was. Oh, great. One of the greats. Uh, that's what I keep hearing from and everybody he went to, on Twitter. And he went to the Harvard of upstate New York. He's admitted to putting his hands on women in his book. And it took him 80 years to realize you can't do that. He's a psychopath. Okay. He died at 87. There's, there's I'm not going to say anything good about Jim Brown. People on camera. I'm, I'm out on Jim Brown. On camera talking about eyewitness accounts okay. of him at the mansion beating I'm the out. shit out of women. Thank I'm you. I'm out. I'll go to the next one. It, it, super, take super, two minutes and read about him, everybody. Oh, no, I, I know. I know. Awful. How about superstar Billy Graham? WWE, the superstar Billy Graham. I love him. Died 79. Now, if you look at him. Eldridge Wayne what? Coleman. I can do 20 minutes on Billy Graham. Why are you uh, blowing you want, you by want, him? You, I better leave the room. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not blowing by him. His real name is Eldridge Wayne Coleman. Oh, I see. All I'm right. not giving you a new guy. <laughs> he was perhaps the single most influential performer in WWE history, whose interviews, fashion, and physique inspired Hulk Hogan, Jesse the Body Ventura, and Scott Steiner. That was the statement by WWE. Yeah. Superstar Billy Graham, formerly Eldridge Wayne Coleman. <laughs> if you're a real WWE, WWE fan, That's you true. know that. I only know Eldridge or Kasner. That's the only Eldridge that I died at I age seventy nine. No, he was. If you look at Hulk Hogan's entire, per, you know, very tan, that awful receding blonde hairline, and who are we talking about now? Hulk Hogan, yeah, and, and completely ripped off Billy Graham. Oh, see, I don't know who Billy Graham is. Oh, superstar Billy Graham. No, I don't know who that is. You don't know who really? I know who Hulk Hogan is, but very I influential. But I wanted the... to pretend like I knew who he was because he died at the age of seventy nine. Ric Flair, everyone was. I know Ric Flair. Yeah, they were all. I don't know the superstar Billy Graham. He was great. All right, Andy Rourke, the bass player for the rock band The Smiths, passed away. He was okay. he was featured on the group's four studio records, including Meat Is Murder and okay. Strange Ways. Here we come, and Billy Graham, and that's the last. How about one this that one? I Legendary have. poker player Doyle Brunson. Oh, he passed. Eighty nine. You ever heard of him? Of course, I haven't. No, yes, you have. Eighty nine years old. He's a ten time World Series poker champ. Died at the age of eighty nine. Doyle, man, he he Doyle played. Doyle Brunson. He played until he was like old, like pretty old. Still, you'd see him at these. He's got the cowboy hat and he, his eyes are squinty. He just looked like a hard ass oh, you're old guy. Good, you know all these. Doyle guys? Brunson, he's are a you legend. Making this up? Look him up. Okay, he'll have a cowboy hat he on. Have, his, he better have a cowboy. His eyes hat will on. be kind of squinty, but badass poker player, man.
Yeah, I love Doyle. I didn't know he passed. Yeah, passed away at the age of 89. Rest in peace to him. Yes. Headlines. Yes. A dust devil. Yes. Interrupted a youth baseball game and a teen umpire was caught on camera rescuing a seven-year-old catcher who was engulfed in the whirlwind. Like I told my kids, this is the stuff that happens when you don't clean your room. <laughs> Artificially intelligent bots that can fake happiness are set to take the jobs of millions of call center workers. I'm not scared, however. I've been faking happiness for 30 years. <laughs> Multiple people have reported hearing someone orgasm during the L.A. Oh, Philharmonic's geez, performance of, Tchaik go of Tchaikovsky's Fifth Symphony on Friday. It's not clear what happened, but the ending of the show sure was a climactic performance. A Colorado <laughs> driver who was pulled over for speeding tried to switch places with his dog to avoid arrest. Don't worry, the dog can take the rap. He's been blamed for farts for years now. And finally, a Nigerian chef set a new world record after cooking oh, for 100 hours straight. Uh-huh. 100 hours of cooking. That's great because last night for dinner, I had a string cheese and a finger full of peanut butter right from the char. <laughs> and to think I've, I steered clear of a story that I was convinced I shouldn't do because you were going to do in the headlines and uh -oh. I was going to mess the whole thing up. And then you didn't do it uh, in the headlines. Go on. Deputies in South Carolina, hotshot, arrest today. I'm putting quote fingers up. Yeah. Pregnant woman after three pounds of cocaine fell from her rubber belly. Uh. The suspect allegedly taped to herself. You see, Anderson County Sheriff's Office deputies pulled over Anthony Miller, not the former wide receiver, and Samika Mitchum, both of Charlotte, North Carolina, on Interstate 85 on April the 12th during a proactive patrol. The stop was predicated by Miller's erratic driving. He allegedly was weaving through multiple lanes and nearly collided with a truck. Well, that's and smart to do when you're carrying drugs. The first red flag began when the two gave conflicting information about her due date. <laughs> yeah. Then all of a sudden, as the officers grew suspicious, the pregnant woman took off and started running. Oh, right. <laughs> At which time... Oh, God. The belly fell off and the drugs oh, came out. Said, and I thought that you were going <laughs> I didn't see that. You said three packages of coke fell out? Three pounds of cocaine. Oh, three pounds, yeah. Three pounds of cocaine Jeez. in a fake rubber pregnant belly that fell apart as she tried to run away. Like she was going to run right, away yeah. from the scene and make it out of there. You know who's most pissed about this, don't you? The state of Florida. <laughs> Definitely someone who should be living in Florida, goddammit. We want our people back. Where do you think they were on their way to? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> they were going south. That's right. Uh, all right. Go do your thing. Episode 240. Potomac, Maryland. Hello. Yes. Yes.